0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 44 of the Yorkshire Gamers Are Read Big War Games podcast. And we've got our feet firmly planted in Yorkshire today. We're going to be talking to uh, Pete Berry from Bacchus Miniatures, uh, a 6 mill manufacturer. I hear you have a sharp intake of breath. Uh, but uh, me and Pete's outlook on wargaming in general is not that different and I'm sure you'll enjoy our conversation and uh, we cover lots of topics like uh, his uh, ECW rules, uh, Forlorn Hope are a big favourite here at Yorkshire Gamer and uh, obviously Bacchus Miniatures and 6mm and Scale and wargaming in general. Lots and lots to get your teeth into in the coming few hours. Um, the length of the episodes are getting a little, slightly longer now. I used to try and keep them at two hours, uh, but I've said it in the past, you know, people... Like yourself, probably sat there doing a bit of uh, painting or you're on a long journey and half an hour, an hour just isn't going to cut it. So I've just let the conversations go and if we've got things to talk about and we're having a good time as a host and guest, then I'm just letting the conversations run and hopefully you're enjoying that as well. It's been a nice upturning guest since uh, the new year, and uh, some of the more popular episodes now are tipping over 3,000 downloads on uh, both formats that uh, it's released, so uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, you are very welcome indeed to be part of uh, the Yorkshire Gamer community, um, and uh, there's lots of podcasts um last of stuff that I've done for you to go ahead and have a listen to. Obviously, 43 other episodes apart from this one. Uh, so dip back into the catalogue. They're all there, all available all for free so i hope you enjoy those uh, so just before we go to the episode itself um pete bless him had a bit of a cold so if you found the meat stuffed up malcolm then um it's because he was um i've managed to cut all the coughs and splutters out um but uh latest news from the hospital is that he is safe and well uh and uh we talk about the joy of six show uh in sheffield on the 2nd of july and which is going to be just over a week away from when this is released and if you're up in the area pop along and uh, say hello and, and have a look at what all this uh 6mm Spawn Stale Scuff is all about. I'm sure we'll enjoy it. It's, uh, it's been hailed as a very friendly show. Um, well, we'll see how that goes when I go next year, but um, it, it, uh, it'll be great to uh, increase the profile of that show and get more people, you know, even if you're just curious about 6mm and what it can do. Um, and you can certainly have some massive games with it, with some massive size units, which is uh, what we're all about here. So, Oh, sit back, get yourself a cup of tea as usual and uh, enjoy the conversation with Pete. Without further ado, here's the interview. Well hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to the interview section of episode 44 of the Yorkshire Gamer podcast and uh, after a trip abroad to the USA and another trip abroad to the Isle of Wight I'm back firmly in God's Own County and we're going to have a classic debate today about God's Own Scale. My guest was a regular on my good friend Sean Clark's podcast and I had a fantastic intro set up about Yorkshire Gamer being a home for displaced podcast guests but Sean's back on the air so he's completely destroyed that, thanks Sean. Today's guest is best known for being the driving force behind one of the leading six-mil wargaming manufacturers. And I'm sure we're going to have a chat about the company and the upcoming Joy of Six show um, that's due in a couple of weeks' time. And he even had a start in this podcast, a hand in the start of this podcast. More of that later, I'm sure. But there will be plenty of time to see what makes my guest tick. We will be following the file leader to go once upon a time in the West Indies. Or it could just be a forlorn hope. (laughs) So, what the bloody hell is a 6 mil evangelist doing on a 28mm podcast, I hear you say? Well, I I think our viewpoints might not be that far apart, so let's find out, shall we? Welcome to my latest guest on the Yorkshire Podcast,
1: and give a reek big welcome to Pete Berry. Hello, Pete. Oh, hey up, Ken. (laughs) What an introduction. I can't follow that at all. (laughs) Marvelous.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's lovely to have you on the show, mate. We've um, we've had a chat a few times at shows, haven't we? And um, I'm sure there'll be many, many things we'll cover today um, that people will be going, what are these two going to talk about?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've done podcasts before, haven't you, mate? You've done Sean's and I think you did Henry's as well, didn't you?
1: Oh, I've done... I've done more podcasts to the point where by Sean Clark just called me a media whore. <laughs> uh I, I, I just did one the other night for the hobby support group. All right, yeah. That's my third time with them. I, I just I'm just passed around. Yeah. You'll talk about anything, is what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah. Try shitting you up.
0: Yeah. Well that's what we like. That's what we like with podcasts, podcast guests, because sometimes people will go on and say, Oh, I, I can't stop talking. And for a podcast guest, that's exactly what we want. So talk away, talk away. That's what we want to hear. Uh, But before we get going, before you get too comfortable, we have a thing called the four-minute challenge. And uh, you've got your little timer at your end, which is great. Um, So we just like people to try and summarize their war games history as a bit of an icebreaker in four minutes, get you warmed up and everything. So are you ready to go, mate?
1: Yeah, can I say, just say before I do start this, yeah. I had actually planned to sum all this a haiku. I... <laughs> 14 syllables of excellence and clarity. To be honest, I couldn't be asked in the end, so yeah. you stuck with me rambling for four minutes.
0: That sounds about right. Will you crack on, mate, while I um, switch the plug on, on my laptop or else we'll disappear?
1: Right. I started as pretty much every wargamer of my generation did start. And that's back with Airfix figures. Uh, probably my early years, rolling marbles at them and painting them gloss black or or doing whatever you do when you're seven, eight or nine and you're with all these little men. And somehow, I didn't quite grow out of that. Uh, By my mid-teens, I was a regular member at Halifax Wargames Club. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of like the formative years in the hobby. Uh, I played a lot of ancients. Uh, the old WRG fourth edition rules, which probably wow. dates me... Yeah, yeah. Decrepit or what? And uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. And it's there that I met a a group of guys with whom I actually went off a completely different wargaming direction. And That's the off-mentioned Ian Beck, uh, uh, Mike Bussey and John Spencer. And the four of us met at Ian's house and we did different sort of gaming. Ian was a, a... a force of nature just doing different sort of projects we all love movies we love spaghetti westerns uh and we did western gun fights with 54 mil figures here you know wow. big figures yeah uh, uh, or we uh, did uh the we did medieval we used 15 mil we, we were very scale whatever you know we wouldn't use anything and our one of our games need would approve of this was we did the battle of poitier at one to five in 15 mil oh, and, nice. and this this sort of game was wasn't done in those days yeah we was talking here yeah. sort of like the mid 70s so you, you didn't see this sort of thing yeah great hordes and hordes and hordes of averagely painted figures but on the battlefield it looked immense yeah. uh, so we moved on from that we went to shows and we we took our little western conflict around people joined in and we did the pony wars games uh which i'm sure a lot of your listeners will have heard mm-hmm. of um, uh, i recently released Ooh, last year uh, which has gone very well so that was my early years and good god i've got, I've got to talk quicker <laughs> uh, uh, i went to university and at university i went a slightly different direction i discovered that i was absolutely fascinated by the english civil war uh, by the 18th century and i discovered a completely new war period called the great northern war mm-hmm. uh, and i have been obsessed by that ever since i mean i was translating obscure papers from Swedish into English with my little English-Swedish uh, uh, dictionary. Oh, or as my friend called it, says, it's like German with bubbles. <laughs> yeah. So I went off with that, um, and then I thought, well, it's time for me to write a war game rule set or two. So I started doing that. But all of this time, not a single figure below 15 mil. Not one.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, uh, I would have thought you'd been mad if you'd have mentioned things like that. Uh, and it was a very, very firm 28 mil, or 25 mil, which morphed into 28 mil collector. Uh, I, at one stage, worked for Games Workshop. And again, this is the pre-Evil Empire days. I was in the retail section there, and I was writing at the beginning of the formation of Wargames Foundry, and I had a large collection of Wargames Foundry, English for war Figures, And then I started reenacting enacting Civil War, yeah. which I think we might see later. Yeah. Uh, and I decided to write even more rules. And I ended up writing four sets of English Civil War rules. Why? heaven knows. <laughs> and all that was progressing very, very nicely. And then along came uh, a little period of unemployment and the rise of this idea about doing six will figures. Mm. So insanity I would have thought, well, so did I. Yeah, But circumstances changed and I'll tell you all about that later because I have now finished
0: Ooh, four minutes <laughs> hey it's harder than you think isn't it good
1: god no <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I can do is spout rubbish
0: yeah no I mean getting it all in in four minutes it, it goes quicker than you think
1: yeah so, some people it does actually some
0: people have, have, have been really good at like practiced and everything absolutely, <laughs> I get it absolutely, oh. absolutely spot-on and then other people they, they like they've they've not even got to primary school by the time we get to four minutes, so it's a, it's a it's a good laugh. It's a good laugh. I have to say, good icebreaker.
1: I should have stuck to the haiku.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Halifax, mate, is that um hometown?
1: It is. Yes. Yeah. Born and bred there.
0: Born and bred. And um, have you stayed in Yorkshire all all your life? Because I think are you Sheffield way now. Rotherham, Sheffield yeah, way.
1: Yeah, pretty much so. Uh, Sheffield. I went to university at Sheffield. Yeah. Uh, uh, all my jobs seem to be in Sheffield, hmm. apart from one sojourn where I a, a job where I was working up in Wakefield, which again isn't a million miles away. I commuted there for a while, uh, but yes, yeah, I'm i I've stayed a Yorkshireman, <laughs> thank God. And uh, I think the Halifax club's still going, isn't it? It is, yes. I bump into the guys fairly regularly because obviously I do the show circuit, and yeah, they they turn up. Yeah, I see them at
0: and, um, I see them at Fiasco, I'm sure, and. Um, Recon in pudsey. They're normally they're normally around doing something. So big shout to the Halifax War Games Club. Well, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Long may they continue. Uh, and did you get involved in any clubs in Sheffield? I what is it? University. I I, I've, I was at the obviously University War Games Society, and that had an open door policy for allowing people who weren't strictly speaking university uh, graduates or graduates to to join in mm. to to come along. So I carried on wargaming, really, with them after uh, I left university and carried on doing that for a long time. Then that sort of went into abeyance and discovery enactment. Uh, I also uh, got married and I got two small children. And if anyone, well, I'm sure many of you people listening to this would realise something's got to give. And at that stage, really, I became much more of a collector than a wargamer. But I was still getting the stuff and uh, I was still putting games on. Because uh, my reenactment group, we went to triples every year, and as well as having a little stand where people dressed up and showed off the arms and the armor and things like that, we always tried to put on a game that people could join in. So there would be war skirmishes, or we did a treasure island game once. And I think the the <laughs> the, the Daftish one we ever did was something called Breakfast in the Bastion.
0: I can remember that one. I can remember that one.
1: It was it was basically uh, taken from the Three Musketeers yep, film. Yep. It was a section of curtain wall from uh from the city, from the town, a bridge that came out of that and into a very large bastion. Mm. And in there were four five 54 mil figures. And uh, these were the four musketeers and the servant. Uh and then across that would come that bridge would come loads and loads of twenty-eight mil Huguenots <laughs> all tried to attack. Yeah. But it was like space invaders. You know, these could be mowed down so easily it was untrue. Uh and, and part of the process was the the musketeers could, could shoot muskets uh and what we did was we gave uh four cards uh in an envelope which had uh a line from the loading drill for a musket because it's 24 yeah. 26 and the number on the back and they were given to the servant because he was the one who could load the muskets if you've seen the film yeah, there, exactly. what yeah. he's got to look at the cards the wrong way around just run the loading sequence instructions put them in the right order yeah put them back in the envelope and give them to musketeer. If the musketeer turns it over, goes one, two, three, four, you go bang, and you've killed some Huguenots. Ah, uh-huh, excellent. If it doesn't, it gets thrown back at him and <laughs> <I'm> told <laughs> to get it right next time. You have to remember, there's, there's four guys doing this yeah. because we did it in real time. There were no goes. It, it started, it was just mayhem for 10 to 15 minutes. And guys were just moving all these 28 little fingers forward, getting them bl- blasted, and then taking the back of the cube to keep going. Uh, musketeers definitely trying to, to mow them down before they get too close. And on top of that, because it was breakfast, we made all the musketeers, they had to eat four dry cream crackers <laughs> and, drink, and drink half a bottle of flat cloak <laughs> all the time that we go going through this. Oh, brilliant. And, uh, yeah. I think after that, I, I couldn't go any further. I think that was the last game of fun. That, that was
0: remember. I do remember that game at triples. That's uh, uh, absolute, absolute quality. Um, do you get a chance to um, game much now? I mean, obviously, your life is wargaming with Bacchus Miniatures. Is it, do you still try and keep your hand in?
1: I, I, I'd like to. Um, I, I tried to a few years ago, but I found I was going down to the local club and, and quite much of people to ask me what's coming up what i'm doing next about shows coming mm. things like that and i found that i went even though i was trying to play um you know with a games workshop or game i, I couldn't get away
2: yeah
1: <laughs> uh, it became a bit of a investment holiday uh so uh in the end i, I stopped doing that Now I, I played games at home with my oldest son oh brilliant who, who was into games he was into games workshop so in a big way uh uh and i really haven't picked up on, on the war games club since then but I get my youngest son when uh, he's coming through and he's he's showing a lot of interest. Oh, good. And, well, I can say that, I take him along to a war game show to help, you know, he gets an official company t-shirt and he, about 10 past 10, he says, can I go look for a game can now? I. I won't see him again until lunchtime when he wants feeding <laughs> and they'll disappear until about half past three. Okay. Yeah, so he he likes playing games. So, uh, you know, I think that was gonna move forward. Quite oh,
0: that's fantastic! It's great to, um, My lad does a bit of gaming as well, so and it's it's great to have that relationship with with your kids to bring them into gaming as well. So that's great to great to hear. Um, you mentioned um, you mentioned a couple of periods there. Um, ECW, big favourite of yours.
1: Oh yes.
0: Hey, do, do you have a general love of history? Is it something that that's come from a young age?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it probably started watching all the Hollywood B movies back, back in my formative years. i have always walking around castles and and and, and the story. I, I read, you know, juvenile historical fiction, um, Rosemary Sutcliffe, Henry Trees, mm. all this sort of thing. It, it just builds up inside you. Uh, and I, I went to university. I did history as a degree at university. I've just kept up with it ever since. It it to me, it's it's an amazing subject there's so many different facets and there's always something new to find
0: exactly i i find i got into the italian risorgimento last year and never never really yeah. knew about it but never read about it so the like you say there's always something new and interesting that you can go and go and start to learn even at young ripe age that we are
1: well yeah i mean i was listening to the podcast you did where you're interviewing the i forget his name the expert oh the, nick the nick Schofield, yeah yeah, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Really, it really was because I, I knew a, a little bit about the Risorgimento. Uh, it was a module that I did at university sort of forty years ago, and it, you know, all came flooding back. Very interesting, yeah. fascinating.
0: Yeah, extremely, and so much. Uh, anything Italian has so much intrigue and backstabbing and, yeah. and <laughs> side swapping. <laughs> <laughs> It's a,
1: oh, I think we're getting dangerously close to, to, to stereotyping here. <laughs> well, it's,
0: sometimes stereotypes are true.
1: Okay, can't argue with that.
0: So if you read you you know, if you read Machiavelli, it,
1: it's all there. Oh. It's all there. It's a brilliant, brilliant... I've, I've got three copies of The Prince. In fact, some of my old reenactment friends will probably have words to say about yeah. that. It's, they're amazing reads. Absolute manual yeah. of how to become a Renaissance prince and be a successor to it. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it is all there if you want to win a game of diplomacy read the yeah, prince
0: it, I, I definitely don't think machiavelli would have played cricket he probably would have played croquet because that's a bit of a a sneaky game but uh, definitely not cricket
1: any game he played he would have built the rules better than yeah you. <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> So we'll talk a bit about the English Civil War in the next section when we're going to touch on um, reenactment um, as one of your hobbies. But you mentioned the Great Northern War, and that's um, something that's fascinated me. And um, I can't remember the name of the company. Uh, under the Bed Enterprises, you should sell them. I can't remember the twenty-eight or what scale they are. Um, they did a, a big range of figures for it. And that was the kind of first time that I went, what's this? Um,
1: so... Is it warfare? Warfare do a massive range of Great North Warfare. Yeah,
0: so wh- where did where did your interest come in? The, uh, slight. Well, not for us, but for the general public, the Great Northern War is um, rather obscure.
1: Well, It, is, it was peaked when I was doing the A-levels at school, in, in the fact that we, we covered European history uh, from uh, in 1618 through to the end of the Great North yeah. War. Effectively, the start of the Thirty Years' War through to the end of the Great Northern War. And Sweden, obviously, is a major part of that. And, and to somebody new to it, you, know, you go, Sweden, and you start to of scratch your hands, <laughs> yeah. you know. You sort of, you know, nice for the Scandinavians that uh, they do a very, very good line of soft furniture and soft flat pack. And, you know, you suddenly realize that these guys terrorized the Baltic and most of Northern Europe for the best part of 80 years. And again, you think about it, the more you look at it, the more I was fascinated by how such a small country with. So few resources punched so far above mm. its weight and maintained that for so long, it, it was quite amazing. And then you look at the history, and there's just amazing characters, uh, culminating in, of course, of Charles twelfth who well, volumes written about the guy, uh, extraordinary guy. And, and that's then linked with Peter the Great, who, who was equally a massive, massive figure, uh, single handedly, effectively brought Russia forward three centuries which really only bought into the 16th century mm. from where they were uh, it, it, it is an amazingly interesting period now this is all going on at the same time as the mulberry wars the spanish succession which most people are more familiar with and, and i certainly was that's something i knew about and i started comparing the two and the great north war made this spanish succession look like a, a fairly weak milky thing as opposed to a really good pint of yorkshire mm. bitter it, it was <laughs> It, 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 yeah, it, they fought the big battles, there were some conclusions Marlborough walked around walking on water and everybody uh, there were some big baddies and some goodies but it fizzled out it wasn't particularly decisive mm. it, it was a war which went nowhere uh, and in terms of outcome it went nowhere Great North War wow, uh, the destruction of one great empire the right of another the beginnings of the ascendancy of Prussia you know, this is big stuff this is big history and it's happening there, and it's much much more interesting and much more significant mm. so yeah uh that is where my interest started
0: and is it is it mostly horse and musket that you, you you're interested in because we've kind of you know e c w into the great northern war we're not a massive time span um you mentioned ancients earlier on uh, in your early part of your wargaming. gaming yeah. um have you ever gone further you into modern period or or just horse and musket where it really ends for you R-
1: I've got to say, I'm probably one of these classic war gamers who who likes the horse and musket yeah. period, and I would prefer the pre Napoleonic to the Napoleonic and post. Having said yeah. that, I, I will play Napoleonic gaming because uniforms are pretty. Let's face it. Yeah. And, and some of the armies really nice. But yeah, on, on the whole, uh, that 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 period where you're coming out at the beginning of it mm. from a, a quasi medieval period, and you're beginning to see the birth of modern nations uh, and, and, and modern nationality. Uh, patriotism and all the rest that the uh, French Revolution unleashed upon the world—it is—it's it's amazingly dynamic, interesting period of history to me, and also in terms of war gaming, there's, there's a lot to earn from that. Yeah,
0: and there's 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 lots of different wars and lots of I, I like the the smaller nations and the principalities and all these tiny little things with all these weird and wonderful uniforms who just suddenly turn, you know, they're in existence for maybe 12 years or something like that. And then they get merged into something There's so much to learn and read about, um, that that's different, that's different from today, but also bleeds into today's politics and, and politics throughout the to, throughout history.
1: Yeah, well, you can't understand Northern Ireland without understanding the period of William III. It it is, And, and that resonates in today's politics, and I'm sure you've got similar examples, which I won't know about right across the whole of Middle Europe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's lovely to hear. Um, I, I like somebody who's passionate about history because I am absolutely, I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. It is is—it is the absolute business. So um, I'm going to drop in uh, and have a chat about rule writing in this particular section because it doesn't really fit in anywhere else that we're going to talk about. And um, I mentioned um, with some fairly poor puns during my introduction, uh, <laughs> some of the rules, some some of the rule sets that you, you you've made, and um, were you one of those people who, when you started wargaming, would always like to tinker around with rules and and maybe write your own set very early on in your wargaming?
1: I, I was, but I, again, you did. It's like if you wanted to play a wargame. You had to get your ethics figures, cut them in half, shove a pin up their ass, <laughs> um, uh, uh, melt something with 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 like you know a match, uh, 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 throw some gloss paint at it, and know you've done a conversion because that's the only way you're going to get the thing you wanted. And it's the same with the rules. You know, if you didn't happen to have the book from the library, that you, because you would had to send it back because yeah. people at the Featherstone book back, you had to sit down and write your own. And and I had that very, very long. That's the DIY nature of wargaming at that time. So that, that really never left me. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this period. Now, it was only a few years but with uh, the, the four of us, with, with Ian there. We wanted to do things that nobody done before. Yeah. The only way to do it was to write the rules to enable us to do the things. So we've got very much a an attitude that if we can't find it, we'll do it. If we don't like the rules that we've got, we will do it. Mm and uh it, it i then became used to the process of putting the set of rules together with, with three very bright knowledgeable guys. uh it was brilliant coming up with new mechanisms but we all had a, an input into it we all had a hand. we all uh helped produce these things so there were rules that were brought out uh, at that time some of you may know them. obviously pony wars yeah there's a gladiatorial combat set called rudis
0: yes i remember rudis um, yeah
1: there was an absolutely unplayable set of uh, western Goodfight rules called uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I've seen the
0: cover of that. I've never actually played it, but I do know the ones you mean.
1: They were the archetypal 1970s rules. Every last thing you can think of, every last detail. <laughs> right, moves broken down into a quarter of a second. Oh, wow. Uh, the, 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 these were the ultimate detail, taking everything to account rules. Yeah, and, and yes, you could play them, but yeah, it was hard work uh they came in three volumes one of which was basically just an entire compendium of uh period firearms
0: wow <laughs>
1: their attributes i would take to load what yeah it, uh you know there's a difference whether you're finding a river fire or, or a center fire cartridge in that they, they, they were they, they were a, a, a work of passion and love yeah but sadly sadly, sadly unplayable to the yeah. point where We eventually gave up on them when we do shows and wrote a really simple set, almost like bang your dead, to just get the game flowing. So so I was used to that process. So when I sort of went solo, because I moved away from Halifax, obviously moved away from my mates there, um, and I wanted to start playing games, and I wanted to play Glycid War because I always got interested in that. And there were two sets of rules on the market, neither of which particularly struck me as being. A good representation of what I was interested in doing. Yeah. But also, like many of the rules of the period, they, they covered a, an entire gamma They would go pike and shot, so they'd have to take a drink. You know, Swiss and Lenczniks at one end of it, and, you know, um, the Great North War, Swedes and Russians at the other, which completely different. So you, you can't, to me, just lump a particular bit with a logic like that. It doesn't work. You have to focus. Yeah. Yeah. And again, probably that's a story to be coming out.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan on on really tightly packaged rules for a war, um, yes, rather than the, you know the classic two boys at 1,500 BC to 1475
1: AD. Yeah, exactly. I'm
0: sure something yeah. changed in between them two dates.
1: Well, it might have done, you know, but <laughs> but to a competition war gamer, that's that's the writ. Um, they're happy with it i'm not going to knock that that's what people like me yeah but but that didn't do anything for me so uh i started cranking out what became my my first set published rules which were a set called forlorn hope
0: yes yes we are big fans here of forlorn hope
1: well it amazes me that it's still going i mean it's 40 odd years old uh, yeah even i admit it's clunky yeah
0: i think i think um I mean I'd, I'd like to dwell a little bit on floor because it is a rule set that we um here still play um we've we've, mo- we, we, we've modified it slightly Good. slightly it. um but what we found and there's i i game with uh, a couple of guys a couple of three guys who are ex um reenactors um and they you know so when when a reenactor of a period likes a set of rules for a period you, uh, to me, you're on the right track. So, did um, well, there was a lot of stuff in there that was kind of in in, in, in oh, I can't even say the word. What is it? Innovative. There we go. For for its time, and I felt you know you, you were you were breaking. You, you had that pike and shot ratio, didn't you? For the units rather yes. than two wings of shot and pike, and you were in a, You were in a melee, and you were adding up four of these and two of these, and they've got median armor and they've got heavy armor and these guys are around the back, but they're not. And so what was you thinking about Will that kind of ratio defining a unit? Well, the way
1: I looked at it was that, that to me, uh, I thought that the rules of the period I got it wrong. Hmm. The fact that they would take a, 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 a regiment or a battalion, as I would more correctly call it nowadays, uh, as having the pike would be some sort of unit leader and then two subunits are shot who could go swatting all the way across the battlefield and do whatever they want and and it wasn't like that All that i'd read everything that i knew about it would indicate that a battalion a regiment fights as a single formation uh that there are nuances within that formation as to what the shot are doing what the pike are doing uh and it fights and functions as a whole yeah uh, you, you, you don't never see an account of, uh, you know, so Fortescue, what's his name's musketeers deciding that they would be far better if they went over there, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, and and they were left there for the rest of the battle. Yeah. Yes, there are instances of what's called commanded shot, but that's a different thing altogether, and you can cater for that. Mm. So, yeah, I mean that the idea of then defining it by a ratio, because obviously then we have to find the means of differentiating between units, and also finding some sort of lethality. Yeah. So the idea of saying, well, if you've got more muskets than pike, you're going to be better at shooting. If you've got more pike than shot, you're probably going to be better at f- fisticuffs, and that's that's how that came about.
0: It, it was it was very, um, as I say, innovative at the time, and we it speeded our games up massively um, because we we weren't having that. Right, I've got four units of infantry would suddenly become. Twelve independent units, four of five yes. because you know what war gamers are like they'll bend every single possible thing to to get things to work so, yeah. so, so that was that was uh, that was something i we still enjoy today um and the army lists in the book um i'm I am so anti army list it's untrue but your the ones in the book had been quite well researched as far as I could tell um in that they would give um a percentage chance of having a ratio within a time period within an army within a location so yeah. uh, d- how, did you do a lot of work to get those as they were
1: yeah i mean this is this is a concept which uh, dates back to my time in halifax yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean i hate point systems i will i will i will take books of rule systems i'll take them into the room i'll stamp on them i'll burn them <sighs> yeah no, nasty um What my view has always been, and it's remained so in in the rules I've published through Bacchus, is that a good general works with what they're given. They don't go around and say, well, I'm facing a pretty cavalry heavy army today, so I'll I'll, I'll go heavy on the... Oh, we're not going to have those militia, because they're going to run when the cavalry come. You don't. You've got the militia, use them. yeah. So you use what you're given. So you came up with the idea of you, you throw dice, and if the dice were to fall on average every single time, would get this army yeah and it would be a pretty straight historical representation of what was field on the day but dallas never, <laughs> never <yeah>. like that. <laughs> um, and it could leave you with some uh, something which is actually superb or something which is totally <laughs> unfit for the job you're going to give it and um, that's how that came about I think it's pretty cool, myself.
0: Yeah, we really, yeah. we really like it because it it makes that bit, and it really gives a period flavor as well. We were talking earlier on about tightly historically defined rules. Well, those army-less that make it even more tightly developed, because you get that um, development from trotters to gallopers in the parliamentary army, um, and then you get the weakening in in strength, but increasing in. Um, morale level of the royalist infantry so it gives a flavor for each period each location as well doesn't it
1: well it is what well, the other thing which is important to, to realize is the 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 civil war period is in england it's a war of regions mm. you've got three distinct theaters and more if needs to be but three major distinct theaters and then you've got ireland and then you've got scotland and even within those there's there's differences i mean i haven't even begun to cover all of those yeah. And again, army lists uh, up spitting, <laughs> armulists, you'll see them and they'll go royalist, early parliamentarian, new model army, Scots, or oh, 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 and Montrose, and that's it. Uh, and it, it completely misses out the, the nuances and the differences in these major provincial armies. So, uh, we did obviously the two central armies, and again, the uh. Oxford army and Essex's army changed in nature over the, uh, between 42 and 45, very much changed. Uh, but you've got Hopton's and Waller's armies in the West Country. And again, by the time you get past, uh, uh down, they're still fighting, but the armies are very, very different. Uh, basically the Cornish have been destroyed, effectively, fighting force at uh, the Siege of Bristol. So uh, Hopton is using a, a, a scratch together Royalist army from different contingents. And Wallace basically had to rebuild as well because he, he lost an he lost army. But you've also got, which is much more interesting to me, and I'm sure you can, which is a titanic struggle between the Earl of Newcastle and the Fairfaxes have been God's own County, yeah, Exactly, yeah. Which, so much stuff happens there. You know, it's like the storming of Wakefield, where Fairfax effectively takes an army, which is like four times his size, charges charges a Wakefield uh, city over the barricades with his cavalry Mm. and and herds she rounds up (laughs) newcastle's foot troops that are there and takes them prisoner with with a quarter of the number it it is boys own stuff absolutely brilliant uh again that that is very very different to the big field armies in the center so that's got to be shown. that's got to be and that's what i try to do yeah yeah
0: and um big big fans as i say and and, um the final thing i just wanted to just quickly mention on that is that we were in that when they came out we were in that period where you would have a million factors uh and and and, you know you do a morale check a full morale check absolutely everything you know you cross a hedge oh morale check uh you'd, you'd take your first round of fire oh full morale check and what you did with that is you 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 still they were still checks lots of checks but they were you'd broken it down and it had really really small number of factors for each you know check to charge would be a dice and you'd lose one for x number of casualties or whatever um had that come from your own um frustrations as uh, as a gamer
1: partly but i mean i will lift my hand here and uh, one takes how can we put it inspiration from those that have gone before you and uh, it was uh, a similar mechanism, it was actually the WRG black powder rules and for their black powder yeah. period rules, which I think was 17 something to 18 something. But they had a series of smaller checks. And I thought that's actually quite good, but I don't like the way they're applying it. But I think it will work under these circumstances with different checks with different factors, obviously.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, people I mean, people now just look at those checks and they go, Well, look at all this lot, like, you've got to memorize all of this and do it. I failed, I'm sure you'll agree with me. Once you've played the game a couple of times, you're rolling a dice. You know you're not looking. You're gonna you're gonna need a four there. If you, if you don't throw a four, I won't even bother checking.
0: That's very yeah. much how we play now. And you you, you roll the dice and then we kind of look at each other and go, "You better check," <laughs> or, yeah. or yeah, you're in," or "No, we're off. We're off for a cup of tea somewhere else." <laughs> yeah. So when when did they first come out? I remember I've got two copies. I've got a little A5. Stamped cardboard cover
1: copy, bright orange cover. Bright orange cover. The yeah. co-
0: the covers come off. We've uh, got <laughs> still around. And then I got there was a bit of a posher one, um which was yeah. kind of A4. So when did the first come? I, out?
1: I think the first one came out eighty one, eighty two, wow. eighty three. Oh yeah, about that sort type of time. Yeah. Uh, the the title the the rules came because I sat down with the. One of my mates in the society so i bring these set of rules <laughs> nobody's going to buy them this you know they don't know point systems what i'm going to call them and he, he had a long sip of his beer and he told him he went for lord hope <laughs> that's what you've got
0: <laughs> well they're still being played they're still being played in the yorkshire yeah. gamer
1: game room so oh good i still get questions about them emailed to me do you wow <laughs> yeah i haven't got a clue <laughs> I put pen to paper on these four decades ago, and oh, I haven't played well.
0: them Oh, that's fantastic. That's, I like to, that's customer service, that, mate. Customer service, that's what they call that.
1: Well, the answer comes back, you know, what do you think? Yeah.
0: And then file leader, That was that a little bit later, but a smaller, like, company size, was it? Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, file leader, again, came bro because uh, uh, however much we talk about the big battles, yeah, again, if you read anything to period, you realise there's an awful lot of much smaller-scale actions going on. Where the where the unit, if you're a war game, would be a company hmm. or a troop of horse, a of foot troop of horse, fifty guys on foot, twenty five to thirty guys on horse, and there's lots of these little size actions. You can't play with a big rule, certainly with flawed uh, hope, because the, you would know, have the granularity. Uh, it just doesn't work. So I, I, I fiddled around with it a bit, and I just came up with this idea of having. Troops, mm. uh you know, just troops and companies. Uh, make it all dependent on officers. It's very gamey and there's no historical background to this, but unless you've got an officer commanding you, you can't there's very limited action you can do. Uh and then I just had to put a bit of fun into it because if you've got officers and you can't do anything, what happens to the officers if something goes wrong with them? Mm. So there's a mechanism whereby the more the officers are engaged in the action, the nearer to the front, the more involved he is more be shot at the more chance of something happening to him. And there's a table at the back, you throw a couple of dice and it will give you a whole range of possible outcomes of what can have happened to your officer. And Some are good, some are not so good, and some are atrocious. Uh, the, yeah, there's, a, there's a fairly clumsy attempt at humour in a few of them.
0: Nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with
1: that. Uh, uh, to me, that they're, they're my favourite set of rules like what I've ever wrote. Yeah. Uh, and. Yeah, again, there's holes in them. They're a bit clunky. I, mean, I really ought to revise them and do something with them. But uh, w- one of the very first playtest games we had, uh, a friend of mine took. Uh, he had some dragoons, and he took three bases of dragoons down this little sunken lane that was lined with musketeers. They shot the hell out of him. He lost all three troops, came away wounded. Um, but because he was wounded, and came out, his, his standing, his 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 kudos rose. Yeah, he got another three troops went down the same lane, had those completely strung the same way and had exactly the same thing happen. He came out absolutely shining. His men would follow him to their death and they did. At that stage, I'm onto something here.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, a lot, a lot of more, a lot of the more modern rules that have come out recently are around those, that sort of um, company level skirmish type game, aren't they? You you seem to, you seem to have set a trail brace there without realizing.
1: Oh, I would realised I'd done something different. Yeah. No, the point is, for the best part of thirty years, nobody else has followed the trail I've laid. <laughs> so uh, it may not be that that good.
0: Visionary, visionary. I think is what they call it, Pete. Visionary. You have that.
1: But what's great create a narrative? You know, you could, you could, if you play Fire Leader, you create a narrative for that game. It's a yeah. game you can sit down the pub afterwards and you go, I can see how that all happened, and it's a really, really good game for that not to be taken too seriously, and real good fun. Excellent,
0: excellent. And then you you have your Polymos system that is for...
1: You've missed one. Missed one, go on. Once upon a time. Once
0: upon a time in the West Indies or the West Country. Which one is it?
1: West Country. Uh, West Country, (laughs) which is where there's an awful lot of individual skirmishes. So I then wrote the third set of English Civil War rules, and that was for skirmish one-to-one.
0: Any you skirmish with a pike? Not very well. Was, yeah, because that's always got me with um, some of the more modern skirmish things. And I see a, like a single figure running around with a even a half pike, and I think somebody's going to go around your side, mate. You're in trouble there.
1: Well, half pike or, or a bill, I think, is what a, a pike would have ended up with in a situation yeah. like that. I mean, I, I sort of included them in in my rules because I was reenacting at the time. And if i did anything else my pike company would have probably lynched me if i hadn't them. <laughs> uh, and i sort of produce a little thing if you want to just get five or six from clumping together they can they can block entrance or something like that under that sort of scale that works but yes i mean in reality a pike is is pretty darn useless yeah,
0: it's a bit of a hindrance really isn't it <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah yeah drop it and brain somebody with your helmet yeah you know yeah that, that you've got more chance of doing some damage. <laughs> So, yeah, they were great fun. Uh, and in fact, the point I did take them along, to, we had a reenactment meeting once. Uh, and a group of my mates, known to me, who with set the rules, got a pair of giant foam dice. And they actually played out a skirmish at one to one level with real people, throwing this foam dice to see what the action oh, was. Oh, fantastic.
0: <laughs> That's proper big gaming.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's one of this tabletop nonsense. <laughs>
0: And yeah. and then finally the polymos system that is kind of goes throughout history, I believe. Um I haven't I haven't had a go. Um but is that something you designed? I'm, I'm not sure of the, the background for this.
1: It is. Uh it was partly out of necessity, partly out of I wanted to re, to revise the Ignisive War rules. Uh I have changed an awful lot of my thinking. More research has come out. And there's some glaring issues with uh, Floyd Hope historically. Uh, So uh, I needed to do something to do something about that. Uh, But I also needed something for Bacchus. You see, I wanted to produce pre-packed armies to sell. It's just a very, very good way of selling things. Um. And it started when I was doing ancients. And I started doing DBA armies. But the buggers kept on producing DBA version 1.1, 1.2, 2.3, and changing the army every single time, mm. And I couldn't be really bothered doing that. American Civil War, I produced a set of rules. I produced uh, Army Packs for Fire and Fury. Mm. That went out of print. Okay? Never mind. I'm a suitable set for 6 mil and a really good set of rules, Volume Bayonet. Volume Bayonet Packs. That went out of print. So uh, the, the little itch at the back of my head was going you've got to do your own and then the business model would be he goes vertical integration oh, oh,
0: oh, that's nice. vertical
1: integration nice. yeah yeah uh so i thought I'll, I'll do a set of rules and just for a change it won't be a set of rules where somebody's writing for big figures and goes oh if you've got little ones do this because that happens an yeah, awful it lot. does yeah you get adaptations for small-scale figures by people who wouldn't touch them in the lifetime and so the Mishmash. So I, I worked from that as a ground up. Uh, and this is where uh we came to the conclusion of using the infamous sixty by thirty base. Yeah. Which is either liked or loathed, depending where you are in the six <laughs> yeah. it, it's a symbol of welcome uniformity or yep. the jackboat heel of backers suppressing the six wheel community. Which side of the whichever
0: one uh, you want to go for. Uh,
1: but it was a logical size for putting a a, a unit on. And what it enabled me to do was to take, let's say, battalion, which is under six to my 30 base. That's not the unit you move around. It's not like if you do 28 mil. That's your unit. The battalion is just a subsection of a brigade. So what your actual unit manoeuvre is, is three, four, five, six of these battalion. So I, I sat down, I sketched some ideas. I had a uh, very, very interesting alcohol fuel weekend with my collaborator, David Heading which and his wife came up with the name for the series because, uh, we, we've we got the rules. We've got the mechanics. We, then it's just writing it all up. And uh, she, she's actually was studying for the time for, uh, to become a priest in the church of England.
0: All right, Okay.
1: She, she was studying Greek and Latin and Hebrew mm. and all that stuff. So we sat there go, we need something really pretentious to call this series, <laughs> you know, something really, really. And she tried such a What? Yeah. Yeah, okay, and it's 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 a Greek demon of war.
2: Wow.
1: it's also a state of total war. It's not like fighting Greeks, where you know you're reasonably gentlemanly. Uh, it's fighting barbarians. They so say have phallos, uh, and that's still no holds barred. Wow, uh, so that gives a series name, and then I always saw it as being a series then which gave us a spine right across major periods that I can base my packaging based my armies on uh, and also give people who are playing six mil something which is theirs yeah it isn't just cobbled down i had me down from somebody playing a bigger thing is it's something which is which is theirs now we've 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 worked that i think through a dozen different periods i'm actually beginning to produce some more stuff now after hiatus of many years uh because uh it's a system which lends itself to adaptation uh very nicely but there's no two sets are the same if you get the american civil war set it doesn't play that like the polyodic set even though they share certain points in common uh, which means you can pick up the game because you can pick up the basic principles but the nuances make the games very very different
0: i i mean i was supposed to last year we were supposed to come down to your place and play the uh little wars tv guys didn't we unfortunately were, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't come off because of uh, sean wasn't well blessing um but i think we were going to use the polymos rules for for that so that would have been an interesting day out um shame that yeah. didn't happen
1: i had the table ready and everything i'd even i got dark chocolate hobnobs. i would got oh, everything that oh. oh we'll have
0: to yeah, get them I back like. we'll have to get them back again
1: oh yeah absolutely <laughs>
0: brilliant coach. well um we um have been chatting away for 50 minutes already which is a good start for an introduction right. and um towards the end of the first section i always like to do the venn diagram of wargaming and um that's where i get people to break down their own personal hobby uh, into wargamer painter collector and historian and um it kind of defines the way that we game and and where our interests lie within what is a a hobby that covers so many different aspects and so many different hobbies within a hobby really if you think about wargaming and um, painting and model building and train building there's so many different aspects so where do you see yourself in those sections Pete
1: well well certainly painter yeah collector yeah collector <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely historian big time yeah that, that is okay now war gamer war games interesting if you take a look at it actually it's a very very small intersection mm. if you take a look at attitudely in how i regard myself I, it's it's quite large i still got an active interest in right war games and doing things like that but i'm uh, analyzing what's happening in the hobby and uh, it's it's fascinating it's enjoyable but i'm not actually shoving much figures around on the table yeah so how you piece that little venn diagram together i, I don't know uh,
0: well no that's that, that's not a million miles different from me because i my wargamer subsection is quite small um i will play a smaller number of larger games throughout the year rather than a game every wednesday for example um but i remain as you do quite um engaged with the hobby in other ways obviously with the podcast it just you know it takes quite a lot of time to to do and put one out every three weeks for three or four weeks so that takes a bit of hobby time up as well um so do you have big collections of figures that you've had for
1: years and years uh well yeah they accumulate Uh, you've got to remember first (laughs) of all we've got one of everything painted right the well, Bacchus range is quite large. So I've got cabinets full yeah. of figures and I've got storage boxes full of figures. These are just single bases. <laughs> and then over the years, uh, you know, I, I do photo shoots. We do games. So we accumulate armies. I mean, I've got seven years well armies laid out on the table next door. because uh, We did some photography on those. Massive American Civil War armies from two different games. We, we did a, a, some, some show games. Uh we're about to do some of our big base Igly Civil War units for a 30 years war game we've got planned. So I've accumulated large amounts of metal and I still and yeah, I have still got some twenty-eight miles civil war. Oh brilliant. Yeah, which is my skirmish Yeah, it once upon a time, which I'm gonna have to dust off because I really like that game. Uh, <laughs> that's a game I can get going with Ben because it's just fun game.
0: Yeah, oh fantastic, fantastic. Um do you do much social media at all? Do, I, I don't think I see you much on there. Uh,
1: uh, yes and no. The problem with social media is it's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, yeah. It can take up an awful lot of time. So I'm very disciplined. I've got I've got my own my own Peter Berry social media page, uh, and I do post on that occasionally. Yeah. Uh, I don't you know I don't take pictures of what I eat for breakfast or anything like that. <laughs> but, uh, I want I won't hang around on this, but during the Brexit period, um, I, I was quite hotly engaged in that with a number of people for various reasons. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do involve in that. Um, and I have a very focused hobby, mm. social media, mostly centred around the six mil-centric groups. Uh, oh. uh, I don't tweet. I yeah. have a Twitter account, but I found tweeting got, again, a rabbit hole. You... you you're looking you're responding and then your day's gone so
0: yeah is it a big part of the business do you you know like have a social media strategy or anything like that
1: well if the strategy you mean by spamming as many six mil sites as you can oh, uh, yeah oh, yeah. Uh, oh that's i spamming yeah you can edit that one can't you?
0: yes of course can. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you. i'm sure you meant to say concentrated direct marketing was what you were going to say
1: Oh, I
0: remember that. Have you got a I'll write it down for you. Don't worry. Don't worry.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that, Pete. We're going to uh, we're going to take a short break for the audience, and we'll be back very shortly um, to have our normal big game chat. Well, we're back uh, for section two of the interview, and uh, this is where we always talk about big games. And uh, I'm sure me and Pete are going to agree
1: on everything. <laughs> well, well, you think listening to me in this one, there's anybody left?
0: Uh, oh, there's loads of people left. To be amazed. Yeah, I'm amazed at how many people listen to this. Absolutely shocked. It's more than three, uh, in- including my mum. So, <laughs> uh, first question for everyone in this section. Is what does a big game mean to you?
1: Damn good question. and I'm gonna say it's your horrible answer, which is it varies. Yeah. You see, you can have what most people tell as a big game, you know, twenty four foot table,
0: mm-hmm. uh, two and
1: a half thousand troops aside, that's a big game. I won't know yeah. in a minute. But also big game can be an eight foot wide table mm-hmm. with three, four thousand six mil figures. Mm-hmm. That's a big yeah, yeah. A big game could be Pony Wars, where you have fifteen mil and you can have up to six hundred Indians on an eight by six table. To me, that's a big game,
2: yeah,
1: because that's expense. Uh, the biggest game of all, of course, is uh, Renown, where you're playing one to one scale figures.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, all of these things to me are a big game, so I think it's a bit of a slippery definition.
0: Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that um you know i have my definition although my style my style i prefer to call it a big game but i've always i've always said even since the first episode that it was scale agnostic you know i i i have seen some absolutely magnificent six mil ten mil games on huge tables um and that's a big game all day every day in fact i meant to ask you were you you, do you remember at Triples there was a game of? I think it was Master Moore. Uh, yeah. What was it one to one? And I wondered yeah. where, whether you were involved in that.
1: Yeah, they're all my figures. Ah, excellent! I thought
0: it was you. a local game.
1: Steve Thomas, he, he painted most of them single-handed. Wow! Uh, uh, he eventually ended up with twenty-four thousand figures. Wow! Big, uh, yeah, they—they—it's only been out about three, or four times. Triples, it was out. We went down to salute. We had it at joy six a few years ago, and uh, it is just awesome. I mean, there's—you describe it absolutely massive spectacle, and it's—it's it's like none of the figures are beautiful, but it doesn't matter because just that sheer mass uh, gives you an no idea of how difficult it is to move an army. <laughs>
0: most definitely it's uh it, it's one of those games that stuck in my mind and and seeing it and go and and thinking wow now we're talking now we're talking and you've I've seen people um try and do like one battalion in 15 mil uh a one-to-one but yeah the whole master more one-to-one was uh was rather impressive i i have to say i have to say um so uh, have you been involved in big games yourself in the past
1: yeah uh, let, let's talk about big games in in, in more in your style mm. uh, one of the things i'm going to mention right from the beginning the the big 50 mil medievals that we did which which were massive yeah <laughs> uh, in terms of the the size of the table and the number of figures it's huge uh at, when i was at university the war games club every year put on a massive game <laughs> absolutely enormous. all this. Uh, first year there it was Aspen Essling and this is at one battalion to one battalion um, second year we did Austerlitz and that was huge because it's a sprawling battlefield And um, we took over a building uh, the engineering building in, in Sheffield um, and it was for, over three four rooms oh now we're talking nobody knew what was happening in the other parts of the battlefield uh, I mean, one room was basically just entirely devoted to stopping the Prats and Heights. Yeah. And, you know, when you see a grand battery that's three foot long, it's an impressive piece. <laughs> it didn't matter. We, we were just buying boxes of air-fixed Russian spraying them green. Yeah. And more bits of green card. This is a 1970s, 1980s, remember? That, that's, that's pretty good going for then. We're uh, using uh, old Spencer Smith figures uh, as French. Uh, the hard plastic uh, awi made great pre-1806 french that's what tip mm. for you uh, and we had millions of those because they were cheap and we just absolutely massive, massive battle uh the practice was stolen on the first day on the second day i, I was seconded and I became you for the day oh. just we cavalry everywhere oh, that's a, a boyhood, just
0: boyhood, just, boyhood oh, dream
1: yeah lose a regiment throw another one forward i can take it
0: <laughs> oh fantastic oh.
1: That was awesome. Uh, and then uh, we did, uh, we switched period. We did Dettingen uh, with a nice little uh, uh, tricol period one. And that was, that was just a very, very, very long table. The entire French army walks, the British army walks up the table uh, and gets shot at and filleted by a can by the side, which is why we got a very long bit. And it looked mm. pretty. Uh, and then they get to the town at the end. And then there's a few frogs in there and they duff them over. And that's the end of the game. Oh. That took two days and it was okay. fun. And uh, then a uh, game that I ran the year after that was I don't know if you've heard of the battle, it's the Battle of Dunstein No, down uh, know it? Oh, okay. It's, I can't describe it. Massive, big mountainous terrain, mm. huge, big river, uh, a little fortified town. Uh, some French are basically have got to hold off massive amounts of Austrians. And they finished the game by getting into barges and going down the river and escaping that way. Or do they? Because the barges don't always make it. (laughs) Uh, That's for over two days in in, in, over two rooms at the university. So yeah, I've done big games. Yeah,
0: I well, the thing I try and um, sort of promote with these with these games that you're talking about um, is the social side of it, Um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to one on one on a smaller table. There's something about being with a load of mates who are into the same thing usually there'll be drinking involved and curries on an evening um yep. there's definitely something about the whole experience of of a big game in that sort of style
1: well couldn't agree more i mean there must have been 30 of us on the austerlitz which is the biggest one we did mm. and yeah we were all out on the on the friday night setting it up on the saturday because that's the anticipation on the saturday night we went out we, we had you know drinking draft bass all night and <laughs> uh, j- just the social the crack is amazing and that that is yeah, that's priceless. Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, i will give you
0: that. So we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit. I'm sure that our our guests would expect us to talk about this the 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 six mil and the twenty eight mil thing, and <laughs> uh, it's something I I've I've talked with Sean uh, about this um, Sean Clark and um, we 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 actually. We we're me and Sean are actually coming at the same problem from different directions in that there are there are there are a lot of um stereotypes and i know you you've talked about them quite a few times but i'm sure we'll talk about some in a minute um about six mil gaming um and it's it's the same with 28 big battle gaming as well in that you you kind of have people you know i've got this and I'll admit it's stupid. This one seven hundredth World War Two naval stuff that I'm doing at the moment, and everyone's going, "Oh, you can't do that. You you need a you need a, a massive swimming pool to play it in, or something like that." Uh, and um, this, um, I've written some down here, so you can't do that in that scale.
2: Oh gosh, yes, yep.
0: <laughs> they're so hard to paint. Oh yep, it's just twelve men taking a flag for a walk
1: yep that's that, one of mine thank you that that's <laughs>
0: that scales just for skirmish i can't see them to paint them now i have not put any scales on any of those comments yeah but they could
1: yeah be they work both ways
0: work both ways
1: <laughs> I, I, I agree. apart from the would taking the flag for the walk
0: you can you can do uh, that you can do that in in small scales
1: well you can if somebody makes but if they're doing that they really are I think missing something. But yeah we get off the point. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's the stereotypes and the, the lack of understanding yeah. on both sides.
0: Yeah. I think people like to um same with music, you know, if you're a band, you've got to be a a scar band or a heavy metal band or a pop band. You can't be a band. So Sean is mr six Mill. I'm mr twenty eight mil big battle from Yorkshire and if you know and I, I I don't can't do anything else I mean I've got I've got big six mil ancient armies and American Civil War armies in six mil um very much enjoy them still use the ACW especially um and Sean's the same I think there's a there's a danger isn't there I think of um trying to stuff things into boxes and not looking at the wider picture.
1: Yeah, there, there is, um, it's judging things in your own terms. Mm. So I, I, just because of the way I've had to be, uh, a, a lot of this, Mr. Sixmill has, has almost been forced upon me. Uh, I've had to be, sometimes I've had to be offensive to be defensive. Yeah. You see what I mean? Mm. I've had to get a reputation over the years. Uh, which is not always deserved, but there again, (laughs) especially people talking about you, they're not talking about you. Yeah, exactly. But everything's got its merits. I mean, my basic tenet would be the larger the battle, the smaller the figure. That's my take on it. Uh, Well, I'm quite happy to defend that. I realise that's not going to be everybody's. Mm. And this is a hobby where people should be, I'm going to say tolerant, you know, of of, of ways of doing it. it's, it's the intolerance or inability to understand or not even wanting to understand. Mm. And sometimes that flips over to, onto the offensive. Uh, I've basically made a career out of doing things that people tell me that I'm not going to be able to do or can't do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because if somebody says, can't do that in six mil, oh, for God's sake, I'm, I will do it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I will absolutely do it. Because I hate that. But again, I am not, Anti big figures. I really am not <laughs> that, that, that from it, It's just saying uh, it's got to be appropriate, and also I, I hate an attitude that comes with big some people who use big figures. Yeah, it, I, and I I've had a lot of attitude throughout over the years. Yeah, I mean, I uh, it's
0: only it's only I mean I've been doing this podcast for two and a half years, nearly three years now, um, and I've start I have started to get. um negative from small scale gamers especially when i started this because they didn't quite understand what i was trying to do um but i can see how you as a manufacturer of six mill scales you're going to be a target is probably the the best way of putting it for those who um want to just uh, have a go at somebody who does a smaller scale Um, because you're there and you're visible and you are a a six mil manufacturer who let's face it you've got a, a you've got a high profile for six mil um so do you think that's the you you're kind of you've set yourself up well not set yourself up but you you you're out there as a target for the pigeons to drop the poo on if you like
1: yeah but i, I don't mind that yeah. because as i found out in my, in my very early years when i started this i was really quiet honestly yeah uh, I'd yeah, i'm a little stand and you know and all this would come up and i would get a lot of aggression i, I know this sounds absolutely daft I'm, I'm not trying to play a victim card but i would get really nasty stuff coming my way especially to my face mm. uh one guy a partisan came up to me when i was first up at the partisan shows and said you're taking up the space that somebody selling 28 mil figures could be doing
0: so yeah
1: and if there was anything guaranteed me, not only to keep on going to parties, but to expand the size of the trade, standing was that comment. <laughs> uh, I was, I was getting a lot of this, and people think I'm joking. But I, I, I'm not. And uh, the problem is, when I get people like that, I, I tend to actually be a little more verbally alert than yeah, them.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. a little more thoughtful than them, and and to be honest, any argument I could read, run rigs around them, mm. and so. I then found on the internet there was a horrible horrible uh uh culture uh of banging into the small scales so i started chatting people on forums and that's really where i came to the fore And because it was because it was me just me banging on because nobody else was doing it yeah i set myself as high profile and somebody to be shot at but i don't mind i really really don't i I can take it yeah and it's fun (laughs) it really is there's nothing that anybody Says to me that hasn't been said to me god knows how to it before and i've found how many ways around the arguments true, i could even predict what people are going to say next so if anybody wants them go please feel free you
0: could you could do like a load yeah. of envelopes sealed envelopes and just like put the next one down to the topic they're going to come up with
1: i i, I made i made a six mil bingo card oh once, brilliant you know. You, show, you know i can't paint things are so small how do you paint the eyes on that Oh, I'd go blind. Oh, I'd rather stick popping up pings. And I was just ticking them off during the course of the show until I got my bingo line. Bingo, I said to one guy. <laughs> Why? That's the one.
0: Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fantastically. And um, that's kind of what this show's always been about. It's been about trying to add a sense of humour. would um, be a little bit I, I love the
1: humour you bring into the post, Ken. Yeah. Your show. They're, they're actually brilliant. I'm, I, I listen to all of them. I do listen to all of them regularly because... You know you don't take it too seriously you don't take yourself too seriously i think that is an amazing yeah, attitude to have
0: excellent thank you for that thank you for that and i'm glad to know that what i'm doing is understood in some circles. because like you there are people out there oh i could i could paint the mona lisa better than leonardo da vinci and somebody would go oh I don't like <laughs> yeah. don't like a smile on that you've got the eyes wrong um but, yeah. uh, you know we, we're out there and we I, I think I think uh, we're promoting the hobby, uh, so sod everyone else. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a laugh and meeting loads of people that I've kind of half known and half talked to over the years, like yourself. I've, I've, I've had a chat with you over the counter a couple of times before I did this, um, and I've got the opportunity to have you on the show, which is which is fantastic. And loads of people get to listen to us for hours while they're painting their
1: figures. Oh, they're still awake. Wake, wake up, wake up.
0: I actually yeah. get, I actually get. You wouldn't believe this, Pete. I actually get more complaints that they're not long enough. Because, oh my god! <laughs> because people sit down, and I'm sure there's loads of people there now. They sat down, the painting, and they'll paint till the end of the podcast. So if the, if it's only half an hour long, they're, they're not going to get a lot of painting done. Whereas if it's you know it's a full on three and a half four hour job, they get a couple of units sorted.
1: Right, okay, so uh, I think I'll carry on. If some of you now go to my web store, <laughs> right, I can track the orders on the computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every ten pounds gets you an extra five yeah, minutes. exactly. What do you think?
0: Yorkshire game of five gets you a five percent discount. <laughs> Ooh. All right, two and a half. Uh, <laughs> so uh, back on topic, um I'm sure you. I'm sure you're going to. Uh, go full out for this. But one of the things that we talk about in this section is always is barriers for new players going big. Um, and there is yeah. obviously an inherent advantage for a smaller scale with this. So, go.
1: Go, okay. Are we talking to someone entirely new to the hobby? Yeah, why not? We why? Yeah,
0: because I, I, I always tell the story of when I started, I've seen a massive game at um, the Steel Male Fisket, uh show um, yeah. in, in North Manchester and um, seen a massive 28 mil game on a huge table and how I was inspired by it rather than frightened by it. Um, so I want new people coming into the hobby now to go, oh, I'd love to do that. Six mil could be a way of doing it.
1: Yeah. Six mil offers affordability, obviously. I mean, uh, one must I know we pack is six, 700 men and that's 45, 50 quid. So affordability is is built into it. And the surprising one, this is one which is actually my biggest hurdle to new entrants, is easy to paint. It, it, they are easier to paint than the big figures. People think the big figures, you've got more room. Uh, you don't have to be so careful about all the little bits. But you do. Big figures demand big painting. Um, it can be quite time consuming. The little figures don't. The little figures can look individually pretty poor, but it's the sheer quantity put together and make an over the basing. So it's getting over that hurdle. Once you have got over that hurdle, then you've got transportability. Yeah. You don't have to develop gorilla like muscles to carry these armies around. Yep. Oh, I can see a gorilla. <laughs> wow. Tell me, do your knuckles? They, do. Around they do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and uh and, uh storage. Yeah. You, you can store five, six, seven thousand guys. In fact, that most of more game run about that with one cabinet that was easily carried by one person. Uh your terrain doesn't take up half a garage. As a, as as a practical way of doing larger scale gaming, do skirmish gaming. It's got everything going for it the the two big hurdles is one how do paint things are small you have to get over that one and two is nobody's heard of it <laughs> because a hobby a hobby is dominated by big figures so somebody coming into the hobby will usually come by gears workshop and warlord who are 28 mm. mil and you'll go to pakistan and you'll see 120 guys selling twenty eight 20 figures you'll see 99 tables yep. Or with 28 figures on and then this sort of like this this sort of like thing in a corner we might be something sort of small scale stuff um, and, and a scrotty game on the outsides the the hobby is is geared around the big figures that's just the way it is uh so those are my those are my big entry difficulties uh so my life is spent my professional life is spent Getting
0: people, yeah. Place. I mean, a friend of mine, a friend of mine has just come back to gaming, and he was, he he's got some of your figures, um, ACW, I think, um, and he was saying he was very impressed with how you've got. I think it's on your stand, um, like a unit in the various stages of painting to show people, yeah, you know, this is this is how you're doing it in blocks.
1: Yeah, it's 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 that sort of thing. I've got some of my website yeah. of the same thing. You have to make you have to make it apparent and easy. And it isn't easy because people look at it and go, it must be difficult because it's so small. Once they've done it, they're brilliant because, you know, they can motor and they can fly away with it. But it's it's this this whole misunderstanding about the size of the figure it must be muddy mm. paint. to paint. Massive barrier for me. It has been since the day when I started. And it, is, it remains today as well, even with the higher profile we've got.
0: With the, the We'll talk a little bit more about 6 mil when we do our talk about Bacchus um later on in the show um but before we finish the big game section we've got to talk about reenactment because um we've had somebody I think we've only had one person on before who's done reenactment so you were involved in ECW
1: I was yes I was a member of the English Civil War Society for the best part of two decades maybe now, I don't want to
0: ex- I don't want to cause any no. fights or anything but it sealed not English Civil War Society what's the difference
1: it's a difference between Manchester City I and Manchester it was. United. I thought
0: they'd be fighting yeah. involved.
1: Or, to be honest, more in my turf, Sheffield yeah, United yeah, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, yes, they both seem to do the same things, but you oh. ask any of their supporters what they think of the others. And you will get a, a very long, detailed, <laughs> <laughs> foul <follow> mouth. <that laughs> Let's not go you know, there. Right. So, uh, uh, English Subordinate Society was uh, initially a splinter group from the Seal uh, uh who wanted to do things more accurately more accurately yeah. or to use a term more authentically uh, and as a member of the war society I happen to think that they did for many many years. Uh, we were very proud of trying to actually get past uh myths and misconceptions of how reenactors should dress, behave, drill, put on as accurate representation of what we tr- of what we tried to depict as we could. Uh, at that stage, quite a few units in the sealed knot While we're uh, as good as what we could do, quite a lot of them are still dressed in crib pleat, <laughs> right? But one famous guy, uh, I was talking to a musketeer from the knot, and he said, Oh, no, I, I really have got to be careful when I found the musket because you get you get sparks yeah, from the yeah. powder flash. <laughs> My jacket's nylon, it keeps on melting oh, it.
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 um, i tried to keep a straight face because he wasn't i wasn't being nasty but you know mm. what can you do so yeah I, I did that uh and i i eventually became the commanding officer of the regiment a bright regiment in the civil society and uh was involved in just trying to improve things with the regiment make, make it again more authentic uh introducing period drill from the bottom up. uh we uh, getting hold of a contemporary drill book, and instead of doing what we'd had to, which is sort of like a mishmash of things back from the, when the not was started in the where well, the 1960s, which mm. is like a mixture of half seen drill books and modern British Army stuff, and occasionally people do a bit gadzookery <laughs> to make it sound more. <laughs> yeah, <happy.
2: laughs>
1: to say no. What did the how were the orders given? Where do people stand? What did the officer actually do? And uh, try to reproduce that. Okay, miniature. The largest formation I ever got to be in charge of was only 150 guys. But believe me, 150 guys is a
0: challenge. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. And did it? Um, did it? Did it ed- educate you? Let's use the word. Did it educate you around those difficulties when it comes to recreating stuff on the tabletop?
1: Yeah, uh, I've got to say it did. No, yeah. you've got to be really careful here because you'll get to saying, "Well, I've been reenacting, and you're doing it all wrong," um, yeah. and there. They're, they're taking it from the point of view they're one of ten guys in this unit and they think you can do this and that and that. And, and they're, they're even committing a wargamer trick of equating a whole unit to ten guys so I, I try to shy away from that but I understand the nuts and bolts and mechanics of how foot, how well an infantry unit works uh, of how the firings work within a unit, what it can do within a lot of time uh, and how a, a pipe uh, a pike division of a battalion could interact with the two musket arm divisions and how they support each other because uh, it's a dynamic formation Yeah, we've got a war game where we just have static figures uh, you fall into the trap of just thinking that's how it, they were well they weren't, they were dynamic formations although they remained in contact with each other so you could push the shot forward or the pike forward depending on the uh, position you were in uh, you could take ground giving fire you could lose ground giving fire, you could hold ground giving fire, you could turn it to a salvey. It's understanding how all the drill works to enable you to do that. What you kind of kind of do. And really importantly, and I've got to say this to anybody out there with an English Civil War I mean, any yeah. scale, are you listening? Right. Pikemen do not form up deeper than the musketeers. Oh, excellent. They form up the same number of ranks. They don't do it. Don't do it. If you've got it now, just lose half the pikemen, right? It doesn't work. They didn't do it. And even if for Lord Hope says that you can do it, ignore it. Oh, sorry. I like it. I like a, I I like a bit it. of
0: controversy on the show. I like that. Mine are the same mine are the same depth.
1: Good mud, good mud. Sensible yeah.
0: fellow. fellows. Saving money, let's figures. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did how long were you involved in that for then, for the in the reenactment?
1: Well, I started in the early eighties and I stopped. Probably about 2001, mm. 2002. Is it a young
0: yeah. so is it a young person's game?
1: Uh, well, it is now from my advanced years. I'm 20 yeah, years older yeah. from then. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it can be very physically demanding. Uh, I mean, I, I doubt I could do what I did then, should I pick up a, a pike. Uh, but for me, it wasn't physically demanding because, as I said, I realised very early on you can be in the ranks and carry a heavy musket and get very dirty and smelly. Or you could be in the pike, and you get to carry an eighteen-foot-long pile with a steel thing on the end and a helmet which never fits you properly. Or you could be a guy with a short stick, nice, nice threads, yeah. who shouts a lot at other people but doesn't get dirty.
0: I'm signing. I'm signing up for
1: that. Yeah, I can do that. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I worked well on the greasy, greasy pole of uh, society politics and uh, uh, became an officer and. Uh, uh, ran a regiment for a well. while excellent excellent uh, well that's
0: uh, that's a nice little trip down the the reenactment lane and uh, we'll have another short break now for our um audience and then we'll be back in a second with our features section Right, we're back in the room, section three. It's the features section featuring the quiz and uh, War Games Room 101 and Desert Island War Game. Um, and um, I think um, Pete's going to be uh, definitely minus one when we start this. Uh, we know one question is going to do differently to me.
1: <laughs> well, no, because you're actually going to be quizzing two people here. Okay. You're quizzing, you're quizzing Peter PB, which is Pre Bacchus.
0: Yeah.
1: And Peter A B, which is after Bacchus.
0: Bacchus, P B and AB, BC yeah. and A so you got yeah. an early
1: and a late one. So you you may get two sets of answers.
0: Oh I see we we tried Alex tried this. He tried to be me. Uh, Alex <laughs> Sutherland tried to answer it as him and as me. Uh and he didn't he didn't get a hundred percent. He didn't get a hundred percent. So 20 questions, um, one way or the other, um, and this is a test of how Yorkshire gamer you are, not how good a gamer you are. Um so question one, Pete go big or go home.
1: Uh, yes and yes. Go big. Yeah, but you go, can go I go big by going small. That's the Yeah, price. well that's
0: that's that's going big.
1: Go big by going go small. Go big.
0: Excellent. Um contrast paints, are they great or are they a gimmick?
1: Well, my first reaction is, "Is what?" Because they have not been What's released yet.
0: Contrast paints have been out for years.
1: Uh, no, they haven't been out for twenty years, have they?
0: Oh, oh no! Well, this is this is early, Pete. This paint is early, Pete. Pete. Pete yeah.
1: Early, yeah, Pete. Go. Like what? 1990
0: Yeah, watery paint.
1: Yeah, and, and and for the for for the the later version, uh, they're a wash.
0: They're a wash. They're yes. a wash. A
1: bit more pigment. Thank you. We agree on
0: that. Uh, Paint brushes, uh, post the Windsor and Newton or Yorkshire made pro art.
1: Ah, okay. Well, neither. This is from both of us. It's yeah. Yorkshire made Rosemary and Co.
0: Yes, yeah. Up the up the road in Cowling. Yeah, I know them well. I know uh, them well. Brilliant,
1: brilliant brushes. Brushes. It's so good. We sell them. So. Ah, mm. Yeah. So.
0: Um. I need to find out. They must be. They must be related as a company somehow. Um. ProArt's been there for years in Skipton. There's a massive big they're in a massive big old uh mill. Um and um Rosemary and co are in a, like a small like house, industrial house place, uh and Cowling, which is a village just outside Skipton. So I'm sure they must be related. It's like the Yorkshire Yorkshire uh, paintbrush triangle. <laughs> It's like rhubarb could only be grown within so many miles of uh, Wakefield. Um, but, yes, uh, I'll, I'll have to find that out. So, 96 figures. Is that an army or a unit of pike?
1: It's an unfinished project. That's <laughs> uh, for both of us.
0: Yeah. A small, small unfinished project. Um, six by four. Is that a big-sized uh, uh, table? Is that a big game or a small game?
1: Right. Uh, <clears throat> pre Pre backers, um, that's just a Saturday not a Saturday afternoon game. That is. Yeah. Uh, post, oh, post backers. Think of a game like that when you've got open flanks, even on a small table like six Ooh. by four. You get big game on reserves.
0: Ooh, like it, like it. Um, you going to you're organising a battle? Or are you going to go for points based or historical order of
1: battle? Well, you know the answer to that for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: Um, Another painting question. Mixing your paints, are you going to go for a wet palette or an old bit of MDF?
1: A what? That's from the first (laughs) Peter. And and the second Peter goes, I sell MDF bases, so I just nick another one and and, and do it on those.
0: Brilliant. That's what we like to hear. That's what we like to hear. Um, Undercoating figures, do you go black or white? Uh,
1: Pre-Bacchus white, post-Bacchus black.
0: Ooh, ooh, mm, mm. um, hot drink time. Yorkshire tea or dirty mucky coffee?
1: Well, I have to say, for both of us, we're coffee drinkers.
0: Mm. But,
1: but, but any visitors who come to back us, get yeah. a cup of tea. Get Yorkshire tea. Oh. visitors at home. We have Yorkshire tea at home.
0: I'll give you. I'll give you half a mark for that. I'll give you half a mark for that. Um, war games units, if it's uh historically correct, do you like them tightly packed or socially distanced?
1: Oh, tightly packed, it's tightly packed. Both Tight. of us, excellent. And
0: uh, choice of game is it a two hour club game or a weekend monster game?
1: Uh, I'll be allowed, it depends
0: <laughs> from Yorkshire Pete. It should be one or the other, straight.
1: Uh... Ah, we've both got the merits. Uh, i am going to say, uh, pre Bacchus the monster game, yeah, post Bacchus the shorter game, mainly oh, because of time constraints.
0: Ah, okay, no worries. Um, the uh, the Nick Skinner question, and that's avocado are they just posh mushy peas?
1: okay. Uh, pre Bacchus, what <laughs> post Bacchus. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They're healthy for you, but they taste like wax. Yeah. I don't get them at all. Mushy peas. Mushy peas have been boiled twice until every see, bit of nutrients got out of them. Right. They've got to be green.
0: Yes. Very green.
1: I have a pork pie floating in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of no living in Sheffield, some endos.
0: Oh, but bit of endos. Them. Oh, yeah. now we're talking.
1: So I think I think I get a point for that.
0: Well, yeah, definitely. We love a bit of hendos here. Very, very nice. Um, the universal question now, Pete, there's no pressure on you here, but um, this is number 44 and, and nobody has answered this in a different way. And that's the round dice question. So that's spherical <laughs> dice. Um, I have one here to show you. Somebody gave okay. it to me. <laughs>
1: You have to remember, I was working a long time ago at Games Workshop.
0: Is that is that allowed uh, on we, your table, yes or no?
1: We were the first people to bring these into the country.
0: Oh God, it's your fault.
1: Right, okay. And we got these round dice because everybody's fascinated by them. And we tried them. And they kept running off the counter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and, and, so, they were useless, absolutely useless. So, in the end, uh, you know, we sold them all and never restocked them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that should answer your question. Land. And uh, horrible things. And even worse than that was a D100. Sorry, D100. Yeah. Oh, with fast-
0: the tiny little faces on, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Never what it was, and it never stopped rolling, anyway. That's equally bad. <laughs>
0: excellent. Excellent. Uh Question 14, rocking through them quite nicely. Um, You're down the chippy. Do you have haddock or Cod.
1: Cod both God. both of us caught both of us mm.
0: you see considering we're supposed to be diametrically opposed you are doing extremely well on this
1: <laughs> two sides of the same coin kid that's all it is
0: <laughs> um question 15 going old school do you like a good table in a set of rules casualty table armor penetration table that sort oh, of thing
1: absolutely every set of rules I've ever written has got tables in it you can't oh. do oh without tables
0: Oh lovely. Talking my talking my last guest, uh, Paul Thompson, loved an armor penetration table, did Paul from from his days of youth. <laughs> oh dear. Right. So this is this is uh, well I I'm gonna be interested to in how you answer this one. Question sixteen. Twenty-eight mil is king, yes or no?
1: Okay. Pre Bacchus. What? <laughs> I think that I yeah. Yeah, postbackers. Yeah. Well, how could put it? No, no, <laughs> no,
0: no. Excellent, excellent. Um Question seventeen: Unpainted miniatures are they allowed on your table? Yes or no?
1: Work of the devil. Work of the devil. Both of us. Yeah. Chorist. Excellent.
0: Um, you might not, you, you need to choose one here because I know it's going to be difficult for you in Sheffield, um, but Bradford City or Leeds United?
1: Well, it will never, ever, ever be Leeds United, ever. Dirty right? Leeds. Ever. Dirty I grew up Leeds. in Halifax uh, when Dunrevy was uh, getting his, his team, and they were sort of like kicking yeah. everybody else off the field and winning a championship here and there. Yeah. And everybody in my in my class was supporting Leeds United. And, and there I yeah. was. Supporting Halifax Town, yeah, my local club, which was yes. still a league club at that time, uh, and and, and uh, what what why it's Leeds, it's it's not it's not your hometown, and I just got fed up after that. Yeah, supported Chelsea in the cup final against Leeds. That that that's, that's, how that's how much you hate Leeds.
0: Question nineteen, I think I know the answer to this one, and this is um, Yorkshire or the other place over the hill.
1: Oh, the place that shall not be mentioned. That one. Yeah, well. That one. Well, you know the answer to that one.
0: I do. I do. And then finally, finally, um Games Workshop. Are they the work of the devil? Yes or no?
1: No. No. And that's both. That's both. They perform a valuable gateway. Okay. It is a bit tortuous sometimes. And this is why I don't warlord of the work of the devil either. Yeah. They may seem to be completely different to anything I do, but they are a means of getting people involved in the hobby. They brought a higher profile to the whole hobby, even though we don't regard ourselves as part of it. We are we're mm. quite the miniature hobby. Uh, and yes, I think I think they are good as a whole. Excellent. Controversial, I know. Uh, no, it's it, my...
0: it's it's one of those questions that does generate discussion, that one. Um unlike the round dice one that <laughs> things thank you Ian Fraser gave me a gave me that uh, salute thank you um so um pre-backers Pete got 82 and a half percent which is very okay. good that's very good and post backers Pete got 75 percent
1: which yeah, I had thought which is
0: which is ex- excellent Sean Clark got about 40. it were useless Absolutely useless. But I think he was yeah, we well, just could be the he, I think he was trying to get the lowest score ever. Yeah. <laughs> bless him. Bless him. We love Sean very much. Um and uh, I'm so glad he's back on the air, by the way. I'm so glad.
1: Yeah, oh so am i yeah, yeah. Sorely this you Sean. Yeah. Good to hear you back. Yeah, his first guess
0: was a bit dodgy, like, but um
1: Yeah, well beggars can't be choosers, can I Exactly. exactly.
0: Our yeah. cheap. <laughs> Right. Anyway, stop messing about. Um, So, uh, second part of the feature section, Room 101. Um, George Orwell's Room of Horror. Um, And uh, this is the bit where we... Might get my guests an opportunity to try and banish a pet hate of bears from wargaming into room, oh, room yeah. wargames 101 and the vault's opening behind me now um so we, this has been going for a remarkable length of time and people still come up with new ideas
1: um so have you had a think, pete have you come up with a new one oh it's not not difficult and this one is gonna be universally unpopular oh go on right it's units and I'm going to say primarily in the larger scales, but I would say suddenly large scales, where every man in the unit is doing a different thing at the same time.
2: <laughs> I'm
1: going to go zoom to the English Civil War, where I will see this little 24-strong battalion. Yeah. And if those musketeers had been under the command of me at any one time, I'd be hitting them with a big stick because they're going to blow somebody's head off sooner or later. And you can't be reloading while well. the guy behind you has got the musket at port. And as for the pikemen, you can't, they've all got to do the same thing at the same time, otherwise you're going to trip over in a big heap of jackstraws. Appalling. Why Wargamers tolerate it, I don't know. But they do. They think it looks more... Absolutely. no it does not they should all be doing the same thing at the same time within the ranks and the files end of argue with me
0: thanks and i'm not going to argue with you because i think that's a great one and um like you say with the... i don't really thought of that one that's a great one. <laughs> oh, oh dear and that's what i love about this bit because people keep coming up with stuff and i i i thought six weeks six episodes it had gone room 101 uh but yes uh, and that's the that's the thing now isn't it well, back in back in the day when you had plastics or you had a limited supply of um figures within a range every figure in the unit would be the same wouldn't it um yeah or you know your pike would be doing one thing and your shot on the side would be firing or whatever um but now like you say Everyone seems to have forgotten that there's a drill book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I spent, again, for my own English of Orange, I sat on the sculpture because I knew exactly what I wanted. The drill poses are right. Uh, I've got musketeers firing and loading. They're in the right place. They're right. I spent ages doing that. Yeah. And then I go to the picture open a glossy magazine and all these guys sort of like waving the muskets around and shooting moles or, you yeah, know, trying to spot aircraft. Oh. The same. yeah
0: at least when i have at least i, I when i do I, I mean i'm guilty of that on occasion i have to say but i do try and make it like a um a bit of a diorama in that the guy shooting isn't shooting the guy in front of him in the back of the head <laughs> so i've seen that quite a few times
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly i'm sorry i'm, I'm, I'm getting all all frustrated agitated now it's it's offending my wargaming self, it's offending my reenactment self. You I need i got to go out of the room and just calm down.
0: Brilliant. You see that that's why that's why I enjoy room one oh one because my guests when they get into it, it's something that's personal to them and they just absolutely hate it and they really just go off on one. And it's like a, Henry Hyde went off on one. Oh, it was fantastic. It's brilliant. I really it makes really because we we, we can have we can have a passion in this war game in, in this hobby without hating people but you could yeah. you could have pet peeves that really annoy you and wind you up that are just yours and it, there might be a little yeah. backstory behind it or whatever but yes that is a, that is an excellent one i do like that one thank you very much for that pete uh and, and then f- finally on the uh on the uh this little section of features is a, is the desert island war game uh, on Radio 2, you go off on a desert island and you choose a, a number of records to take with you. Um, so we're going to take a game, a desert island game, and it's a war game. It can be a board game, a tabletop game, no limitations to figures or anything. They want. just a game that you means something to you that you'd want to take with you. So what would that be?
1: It's probably Kingmaker.
0: Kingmaker? Excellent.
1: I, I played it to death while I was at university. Um I haven't found four like-minded players since then. And another new version's come out, and I'm going to get that. It's such a brilliant multiplayer game, and um, I love multiplayer to play games like that. So, yeah, Kingmaker for me. It is. It
0: is it is an awesome game and a classic. And we are very similar to yourself, I played it to death at university. Uh, and I think it was the Duke of Clarence who always got killed. He never survived.
1: <laughs> well, all the... In the desperation where you knew you got nothing, if you just put your your little ten point noble against the biggest stack on the board, yeah. for some reason the odds are always yeah. with you, and you killed everybody else. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, I've got that. In fact, you can see it behind me. Uh, there,
1: um, there. Uh, yes, yeah. Can you see it peak Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: yeah. Excellent game. Excellent game. And um, you can take a book with you, um other than a religious book of your choice. Is there a particular book that you'd like to take with you to the desert island?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm a, it's a two-volume book. I yeah, remember.
0: yeah, two volumes is good.
1: It came out a couple of years ago. It's called the Great North War Compendium, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely bang full of fascinating articles about the armies, about the history of the period, about all sorts of odd things and individuals within that. It's a brilliant, brilliant book, mm-hmm. uh, and it, you can just dip into it and you find something new and something fascinating. Uh, so, yeah, that that's the one for is me. Is that
0: kind of the Seminal history that you would say, you know, if you're going to get into Great Northern War, this is the book to go for.
1: Well, it's not a history book as such; it isn't just a, an account. Mm. But I would say, I would, I would agree with you. I think if somebody wants to just find out the flavour of it, go for it, uh, because it, it sets up as a structure. This is what happened in the Great North War, and it'll take you through that. But that isn't the whole book; that's a chapter, and then it goes off into branches, oh, right, all the way through. You know, let's have what the Turks were like. Let's have a look at Cossacks, let's have a look at the long complicated uh, and quite mind-boggling uh, history of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, uh, who, who seem to afford everybody including themselves ceaselessly mm. until it all fell apart. It's just all in there, and it it's just, just marvellous, marvellous introduction to the period, uh, and the detail in the love that's got into mm. it, it's had academic uh, contributions. I don't know how the garbage get it together, but it's a brilliant Oh,
0: fantastic, fantastic. And then the final piece is, um, is you can take uh, a separate WarGames unit, a WarGames unit on its own to uh, the Desert Island, and that could be one that means something to you or something that you've seen in a magazine that um, resonates with you or, or has a personal meaning. Which one would you like to take?
1: It's on my... War games. It's on my display oh, stand. Uh, I think you might have seen it. It's it's an English Civil War regiment on one of these big bases. Uh, so there's about two hundred figures mm. in it, uh, and it's a representation of my old oh, of the wow. regiment. Oh wow! Fantastic. Uh, All dressed in grey with with the colours of it, and that would be my unit to take with me.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, that's a fantastic choice, a fantastic choice. So we'll end that section there and we'll move on to our big topic. Okay, it's time for the big topic, and uh, we're going to talk to Pete about. Backus miniatures and six mil in general, and uh, the uh, show that he's got coming up in a few weeks' time called Joy of Six. So, I suppose the obvious question to get us off uh, started is we've we've had a bit of a potted history of your uh, wargaming. Um, so, how did you become involved with it as a business um, and starting Backus Miniatures?
1: Oh, okay. Uh- I've actually covered this on other people's podcasts.
0: Yeah, so uh, gives
1: a I'll, give, I'll give you a pocket, history. A yeah. pocket history. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, during during the sort of like mid nineteen eighties, I was out of a job, and I started making something, uh, making buildings because I, I enjoyed making big twenty five mill scale buildings, um, beautifully detailed. I am trying to flog them, and nobody would buy them, not for the money I wanted. Uh, you know, you, you'll be offered a fiver for three weeks' work. So I hit upon the idea of making one model, making a mould from that model, and then selling a resin cast from it, which seemed to be a better way of doing things. But because I was on the dole, uh, my, my my funds were very limited. I just couldn't afford the amount of rubber, because it's expensive stuff, and resin to, to start doing that practically. Uh, and then I, I thought I'd do it in 15, because again, that's a scale I'm very familiar with. Yeah. My final leader stuff was in 15, I worked in 15 before. And uh, again, just the economics were working against me. So, very reluctantly, I thought I'd have a look and see what was around in six and see what you needed. So, I made some six mil scale buildings. That's how it started. It, it's as simple as that. I, I never set out to do six mil as a scale. Yeah. And if that hadn't happened, uh, you'd be having a conversation with me about 28 mil stuff, and I'd be despising all the little stuff. <laughs> you know history works in strange ways
2: yeah.
1: uh, through a fairly convoluted process I, I produced a little range i carried on selling that when did would get a job uh i worked with a guy who helped me start making some figures uh, i I, st- I split from him and set up my own independent figure making company with me doing the sculpting uh, and to be honest to start with because i was actually earning proper money uh, at my proper job Packers was just outlined an outlay for, for me to sculpt. I, I could sculpt and make something, and you know, I made the armies I wanted. So it's a, no surprise that the first two armies that I produced was an English Civil War army
0: yeah.
1: and a Great North War Swedish army, followed by Russians, Poles, and, and the rest. I, I spent years walking around people's uh, manufacturers' stands going, We are using Great North War figures. I'm being laughed at. <laughs> the only way I can do this is to do it myself. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, did that. And, and that's really how it all started. It, it was it was by accident. It was something which was a part-time thing for a bit of pin money. And I say because I enjoy doing the sculpting, get my sculpts out there and, and painted and on the table. Because it's very satisfying having an army where you know that you've actually produced it beginning to end. And, and, and that's that's quite a buzz.
0: So that so that sculpting process then um, is it something that you tried before? Be, you know, it's not something that you would naturally have a go at at school or something. So how did you realise that you could sculpt? <sighs> how can I put it?
1: Right, you um, remember I said I was working for a, a guy who just gave me a hand. Yeah. In his metal I was selling my buildings alongside the stuff he, he sold at shows. He was selling 28s and 15s. Yeah. My little six-mill buildings were selling really well, and I was selling fortifications, stuff like that. And he went, he had a look at it and he thought, well, he'll make some six-mill figures from him to sell alongside my buildings. And he did, and they were dreadful. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> dreadful. Yeah. I looked at that and I thought, I must be able to do as well as that i can't do worse so i, and I, I, did, and I did some sculpting my first figures were bloody awful yeah but you have to remember in doing the little six mil buildings i was actually working very very fine level of detail i, I, I sold gabions the original gabion i actually wove in six mil with fine wire right uh, i was used to getting down and dirty in the small scale so that was just the next step up, and like any process, you get a little bit better every time you do it. Mm. Uh, and yeah, my first ranges were pretty ropey, but by the time I had say got to the Swedes, uh, the the English Civil War, I was actually reasonable at it, uh, and certainly, to my mind, they were as good, if not better, than here. so the market and the scale.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, and uh, I, I took it from there. But I've no artistic training. Uh, I've no skill in that sort of way whatsoever that was there before it's just something i did entirely self-taught
0: and as yeah as the company's progressed then have you continued to do all sculpting or have you? is there other people involved in that area now
1: oh i don't do any anymore i i don't <laughs> retired it's really sad it's really sad a i don't have time ring a company even one of the size of ours is incredibly demanding time and mm. two i found people who are better at it than i am better than I ever was, really, <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm systematically uh, taking some of the older ranges uh, which I sculpted and having them redone. and They're much, much better for it. We, we're going to keep some of my stuff in there. Uh, you won't lose it entirely. Uh, but uh, yeah, on the whole, let, let's find people who are suited best for what they're doing.
0: Yeah. So um, so what does what does Bacchus consist of these days? Um, it, it just. You've got yourself. Uh, who else is involved?
1: Uh, right. Well, there's my wife, uh, Lindy. Mm. Uh, and yeah. She helps out the admin. In fact, to be honest, while we're doing this, uh, she's sorting uh, uh, seating plans uh, sorry, and uh, uh, posters for the Joy Six. Oh, um, brilliant. She helps me sort of get rid of mail order and things like that. So she's absolutely valuable. Uh, we have a full-time caster, Tony. Uh, he works with us, uh, and he's our, our main producer of Little bit. We have a part-time caster uh, who is also our part-time art director. He works works two days on uh, casting and one day on starting producing some original artwork for our packaging presentation. That's new. We have Andrew. Andrew works for us, and he is our mold maker. Uh, And very importantly, he is our model maker, uh, and he's fundamental to the number of new releases we've had in our world war ii vehicle range uh which has been like, like a, a a torrent in the past couple of years so <laughs> yeah. he's he's been uh he's behind that really and he also helps out casting uh and i do everything else i'd like to think that basically means me sitting with my feet up on the desk <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want to. sadly it doesn't work out that way and i will do everything from yeah from sweeping the floor to uh uh by the loo rolls in to you know it's a glamorous life yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah
0: yeah i remember listening to you on um sean's show on god's own scale um through the covid period and um it kind of went a little bit crazy for you didn't it you yeah you had to like turn the turn the taps on and off
1: i I did it it was really unfortunate circumstances we just redesigned the workshop uh we've mm. completely gutted it and we've made it really really efficient so the machines are within easy reach of each other in reach of the molds and we were going really really well we've got a team of casters in more people than we've got working for us now and then COVID hit, uh social distancing and workplace work, workplace rules but we couldn't get anybody in one person at a time work and remember we didn't know how it was transmitted so there's all the moles so you couldn't have people picking one mold up and using it because the fear of transmission to another person. Uh, So we basically furloughed everybody apart from myself and Lindy. Uh, And I did all the casting Uh, and Lindy did all the admin, basically getting it out. Between us, we kept the company going, but our production went through the floor. Obviously we we couldn't produce the same as three, four casters can. Mm.
2: But
1: demand went through the roof because all over the world, there were yeah. very bored war gamers who suddenly decided this great opportunity to do some painting, and we were, we were faced with this horrible dilemma what what do we do? And it meant that basically we had to open the shopping cart, and when it looked like we we're completely overloaded for the next three months, stop it, clear the backlog out. We could have carried on taking orders at Infinite, you know. Uh, uh, I'd still be clearing the back orders now, yeah. You know, it'd be brilliant for the bank account, brilliant in terms of flow. uh but we don't work that way we we couldn't take it we could possibly fulfill with a reasonable amount of time it just wasn't right so it meant that in i think it was where are we now we know 2013 2000, 2020. shopping cart was open for a total of nine days throughout the entire year wow because we'd open the shopping cart people would find out and it'd be like a feeding frenzy and get their orders in <laughs> Um, um, and, and, and you'd be sat. I don't know if you get email notifications. We get an email notification when order comes through. You'd be sitting at the computer, be going, kiting, 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 and it's lovely. But at the same time, you? I'm going. I'm going to have to shut this soon. We can't carry on like this. Uh, so yeah, that's what happened. Uh, you know, it, it sounds brilliant. It sounds really good. You know, having to do this, but it was hard. We actually took less money than we'd done the year before or the year after. Uh, but it kept going that that's the main thing
0: yeah but you, you it, it must have been a good feeling to know that people were still after your product and after it in think, such yeah. a way that you couldn't cope with it it's much better than not having
1: enough oh, yeah it, it is we would have been sat there with no orders coming in that's really depressing no it is great and um, you know the, the feedback i had from that was people were so grateful for us to produce the figures on a difficult circle yeah. get the boat because, you know, it, it stops people going mad. Yeah. I not put too much on point of it. Now, I, I don't stress that point. I met little men. We're not, we're not into mental health specialists like that. But it was therapeutic for an awful lot of people. And I think it was important that we managed to keep that flow going. Not only us, but the, the whole industry. The whole industry did marvels over that period. We, we kept it going out. And I think it was important that we did so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something I've, I'm big on, and, and you probably know. I did a podcast on mental health with Henry, and I think yep. um, the, the, the 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 focus that it gives people with projects is is, is really good for people's mental health. And I can certainly see during that COVID period. I mean, I worked; I could continue to work all the time. It didn't, other than quieter roads, it didn't really change my day to day business. But um, you could, I you know, I could imagine people sat at home. What do i do what do i do yeah
1: well, really. yeah yeah and you could sell people finishing projects off because number of bases we were selling so people <laughs> yeah. got to out and, go, uh, and our flag sheets i mean we, we've got thousands yeah. of flag sheets and people about because could with the finishing this all me off because that's all they were buying bases and flag sheets yeah oh fantastic. So had the metal for ages so F- yeah fantastic yeah.
0: to hear and yeah. um, bringing that that conversation up to today um some people or some manufacturers of the war games industry have have kind of changed the way that they operate following COVID and and have withdrawn from going to shows um, and have become just purely an online presence. Where do you sit with that? Do you still think it's important to get out there and and meet people in person at shows?
1: Yeah, it's vital as far as I'm concerned. Uh, It's vital, two ways mm. i think it's really important that customers get to see you and get to talk to you uh can ask you about things i think that's really really important uh, and from my point of view i love going out to shows yeah and talking to people as you can tell i, I just talk i'm a very sort of person i like to meet my customers I like to to put uh, uh faces to names yeah uh, many of my customers have become friends mm. uh, so but it's important it's getting used to felt people can ask you what's coming up so you can let them know it's also keeping your finger on the pulse of the hobby we don't work in isolation with everybody else in this business we are one part of a much much bigger thing so it's really good to go around to a show see what's happening observe what the trends are find out what new products are coming out that's really important Uh, a war game show a war game show is is the best place to do that so we're like partisan is amazing for that Uh, again it's just getting you just being there yeah i wouldn't attract new customers if i were wasn't doing the hard yards of finding somebody looking at my stuff going i can't pay anything a small i'd be mean, going ah, ah have you ever tried <laughs> yeah. and i have built a business of being prepared to talk to people yeah without being nasty or condescending and say yeah you can't pay them look just have a go
0: and i i think that i think that's extremely important and i think it's i think it's very disappointing that some manufacturers have, have stepped back from the show scene um it can be expensive and you know and i've talked to other guests who are manufacturers around the costings and etc um but there is that that hidden um benefit of, of these people who come back and order online after they've seen you at a show and it it isn't obvious from the sales on the day how much no. business you've generated
1: no we, we don't make a lot of shows mm. uh, it's not like when i first started doing this we don't make a lot of shows we don't always make a vast amount of profits but we always cover our costs uh and getting ready for a show it's a massive effort keeping all the stock up to date and things like that it really is a, a huge yeah. effort but it's one which pays as you said before dividends beyond that four five six hours you spent at that show it reaps reward in reinforcing uh the belief to say it's somebody who's who's wavering mm. somebody's still curious just have another little word with you a little bit of reassurance and then you plant it in there a couple of guys who are planning a project they might be looking at 15 oh look six is an alternative we've had a quick chat they've not bought anything they've walked away and thought about it they've come back yeah that sort of thing I, you can't put the figures on it but keeping your contact with customers, talking to people, and being seen, I think is, is vital. And I couldn't understand why people aren't doing it. The effort is enormous. It, it really, I don't think people, unless you've actually been here, you can't understand how much you've got to put into just getting ready to go to one small show. Uh, and this is, I think some show organizers don't understand. I get invites to more shows I could possibly do. Yeah. And they can get really disappointed at the fact that I won't turn up, You know, it's only 30 miles down the road, it's in the same city, why can't you come and we we physically can't take any more on that we're doing Mm.
0: i think i think um as as war gamers get older you know walking around a war game show is tiring um actually actually having to load in set up do the war game show and then when it's finished pack up and go home that yeah, yeah it's it's i mean i i Many, many years ago, I, I did a bit of work with Hallmark Figures, with Steve Royan, who's um, oh, yeah, left yeah. the business now, but I did a few shows with him, and I was tired, and I was a young lad in those days, so <laughs> I, I know what you mean.
1: Well, Steve Steve Royan's stand was a small stand. Have a look at the size of ours and the stuff we take, yeah, and that's all going to be knocked down, packed into that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a- but like I say, it's a it's price you pay, but you can't do it often. You can't do it. Uh, it's at most 15% of our overall sales from shows. Mail order is where business works. Yeah.
0: It's good to see you out there. Um, um, and we, we're both singing from the same sheet on that. I think um, it's disappointing, as I say, that some people have stepped away from the scene. Um, so we'll move on to um, scale. Have you ever thought about doing anything other than six mil? No. No.
1: Nope. Uh, no, because my business philosophy was right from the start. Do something better than anyone else. Mm. Don't just try and do everything better than anybody else. And I I learnt this from again I mentioned this guy who I was working with when I was doing little buildings, and he was doing figures, but he was doing everything. He was trying to do twenty five mills, trying to do fifteen mills, trying to do scenery. He, he was like chasing the rainbow. Oh, this is selling well, Tim. We'll do a bit of this. So nothing was really finished. Uh, so it was bad. For the rate, yeah. And I saw that if you if you dilute your activity, if you dilute dilute your energy across too wide a front, mm. you will fall over. So, having decided to go with six, I by it's why we called the company back as Six MM. We set the stall out from the beginning. That's what we do. We don't do anything else. But we're going to do it. I want to do it better than anybody mm. else. Now I'm sure my Fellow uh, uh, manufacturers in this scale would care to dispute that. But if you want to say that that's our mission project, our project mission. yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah, one yeah. of them, one of them.
1: Yeah, one of them, a one of them.
0: Um, so um, and this isn't So, this isn't a um, go at six mil, all, all scales are like this. So um, if the six mil figures, if I go back and I buy the old Heroics and Ross, one three hundred six mil figures they will be a different size to yours that are a different size yep. to say adler which are probably at the high side of six mil so where did you decide what your six mil scale was going to be
1: it emerged when i sculpted mm. uh, my, my style was chunky in heroics and not quite as chunky as adler <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and, and that's how i sculpted it, yeah. it wasn't purpose I'm, I'm going to do it a bit differently it's just what came out of the the, the green stuff and the, the put on the armature and it worked and it worked I, i've been using this you're making it non-compatible with everybody else's so people have to buy yours no it's just what it's what i liked yeah you enjoyed <laughs> just it <what> came out. <laughs> like, you, you, if you don't like it you don't have to buy it yeah, you know? exactly
0: exactly and w- one thing that um kind of instantly says bacchus miniatures is the strips of figures, yeah. um, so just tell us where that idea came from uh, and what you see as the benefits of the strip system.
1: Okay, well, well to be to be fair, uh, heroics were always sold on strips, and irregular, again, predate uh, were sold on blocks. I think what is a better, way, but a very a very large base or plinth. Yeah, but hero um, heroics
0: used to be on a strip where they'd be forward, wouldn't they? And you always have to cut the individuals yeah. off. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're based in file, one behind the other. Yeah. Uh, what I want to do is to have a look at the, I like the regular style because basically, yeah, you don't have to do much to get them on the table, uh, uh, but I did like the irregular execution. So what I thought was how do I actually get really nice figures, but uh, the practical war games, and I came up with the idea of just, I don't think it's rocket science, I'll just basing yeah. four figures. On a twenty mil strip facing forward, and then you could press that in the mold press back to front. Yeah. Uh, so the mold line is down the center of the figures, and then uh, you could then build a unit from that. Now, if we're looking at my infamous sixty by thirty bases, it meant you a twenty four or thirty six strong unit. Yeah. By stringing three strips across the width of that would give you front of your twelve figures, uh, and that seemed to gel together quite nicely. Uh, cavalry and skirmishers still got to be put in strips, in file, one or the other, chop chopping up. Uh, and we went from there, and it proved to be really popular, because it was easy for painting. You could, you could, six dabs of paint, sorry, six dabs of glue, and you've got a unit glued to a stick for painting. Six more dabs of glue, and you've got a unit based on the base. <laughs> yeah. You weren't messing around with too many single figures. It mm. was simple and convenient. And it also enabled me to do some some standard packaging. Uh, like I said, I, work, I worked in retail a lot, not just with workshop, but I worked in retail before then. Uh, and I understood the value of packaging and presentation. And so I was able to get a nice pack of infantry for 96, 96 infantry, that's 24 figures. That's four of my little units at 24 to a unit. It all came together around that.
0: And is I mean obviously you cast in a base as well, so was that a consideration for production costs in the fact that you're adding more metal that isn't figures that is a base?
1: Not really. Uh the the actual cost of metal within a figure, although it's become more important as metal's gone up, is is not the major but the major factor. And to be honest, it more than makes it for itself in handling. We've if you if you cut them all properly and you spin, you get let's say twenty-four strips out of a mold. If you've got a nice solid base, you can just twist them straight off the strip, of the sprue, and they come up quickly, easily and accurately. Oh, good. So in the actual terms of production it makes common sense as well like that.
0: Excellent. So is there um you know, we talked a little bit about differences between scales and stuff. Is there any challenges that arrive in casting in a small scale, I'm thinking about making sure that pikes come out and they don't break easily. Is there something you need to do to compensate for the scale with things like that?
1: Yeah, you're, you're facing this perennial difficulty of casting weapons, making the weapons so they're robust enough and thick enough to cast, but not so robust you wouldn't like the old Mid-Fix telegraph. <laughs> <Yeah. almost. laughs> uh, and I've always tried to cast as near to scale as I can within practicalities. Mm-hmm. But that brings its own difficulties. In the fact if you've got a pike, which is a long, thin piece of metal, uh, you are casting right at the edge of the technology. Yeah. It's all oh, rubber casting. It really is difficult to get those. So the molds, if you ever come down to our workshop have a look, are covered in little scores and vents. Yes. Yeah. Andrew uh is our mold maker. He's, he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh and every software so will give him an older mold and say this isn't this isn't working properly and he'll do unspeakable things to drill (laughs) holes in it attack it in the scalpel just to get the air out to enable the metal to flow and then you've got to sometimes uh all the molds are individual so sometimes we'll have to spin a mold a little bit faster or we might need to give it a a hotter pour of metal or a colder pour again that's different and if you're casting larger lumps of metal Hmm. Uh, let's say some of the vehicles you can't cast them the same way you cast infantry because the metal will be too hot and it cools with pitting in it so you've got to run it for longer you've got to run it cooler it, they all present different different uh difficulties to overcome so it's a black art. yes it it, is yeah
0: it very much very much um i remember sitting with steve royne when he was build when he was making molds for a b miniatures and and he was Doing those little vent things, and it—it it was some yeah. dark art
1: <laughs> it, it really is. I used to bit the bulls yeah. uh, and Andrew, I've got to say, is—is I—I is, I think basically sacrificed a black goat. <laughs> Reminiscences <from laughs> round it, where they can a hilltop. Around Huddersfield because you know he he's, he can do things that normal mortals cannot. Yeah,
0: do. yeah, exactly. And have you ever considered um, other materials um, apart from metal? Is anything never, you know, some people are doing plastic and resin and supercast and all these different things. Have you experimented or looked at any of those?
1: I, I'm always looking. Uh, we we don't stand still. Um, I looked at plastic, but the initial investment is massive for us we're, we're a tiny company with no massive financial reserves and i'm not willing to go out and take a 40 50 grand loan on well, the off chance plastics might might work i was originally wanting to do uh popular world war ii vehicles in plastic that was my original plan uh but uh, that that just proved impractical uh i have tried casting in resin but resin does not work with six wheel. I proved that, to and I know, I know resin, because that's what the building yeah. in before. Uh, I, that, that was never going to fly. Uh, I've looked at this CLCAS system. I'm not altogether convinced. Right. <laughs> uh, I have seen results that look really good, but that's what the manufacturer showed me. I've seen commercial results that look a bit blobby. Uh, and the thing about 6 Mill is you've got to have hard detail. Soft detail w- would actually kill them. Uh, because of the painting style, you, you need incised heavy detail because a lot of people will just put base coats on them, wash. But unless you've got really good crisp detail, it ain't gonna work. Mm. So that's, that's where we are with that. Uh, if there is uh, a practical way of using the materials that they offer benefits,
0: you'll look into it. And I think, I think 3d printing, um, I've spoke to a couple of people, there just isn't the, the volume of output with the 3d printing it, to, to make a, a viable business from it.
1: Uh, well, 3d printing is, is another thing altogether. Um, there are a lot of people doing it. Uh, the business model seems to be, you sell your STLs, uh, and there's a company working in six mil Turner miniatures and he's doing really, really well. Uh, he's, he's, he knows what he's doing. Basically, the Kickstarter. Yeah. So, you get your money up front and then you know, so whatever you work from these, 10, 20, 30 grand on, on one of these, you sell your, your STLs and then you move on to your next project. But I suspect there's comparatively little resale from that, uh, except to third party printers who will print armies. But by the time you're getting somebody else to print an STL before you, it's not really any great savings on doing metal. Yeah uh and also resin has got its drawbacks uh, I'm, I'm you know it sounds like i'm dissing the opposition i'm not uh 3d printing is here to stay yeah it's how much of a it's going to have but it, it's not it's not as brilliant as the proselytizers and the early adapters would tell you there are serious issues with it uh but yeah the, as technology I, goes on yeah we'll i think better. i
0: think it'll be interesting to see how we go five years down the line and how yeah. figures that are being printed now that cure with UV, how they react, having been exposed to UV for five years. Yes.
1: I think yeah. that's. I wasn't to going to mention an... that, but yes. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that
0: is... that's an interesting question. Uh, and having been in... I've
1: got a D printer myself. We use it. We use it at work. I'm very familiar with the technology, uh, its pluses and its cons. Uh, but we get uh, vehicles for our World War II rage. The masters are designed, they can't design. Yeah. But to get the quality that we need to produce the models to the quality we need, we have to send them away to a really high-end specialist printer. And that, the only one we found is out in the States. And um, These are absolutely beautiful models, but they cost an arm, a leg, a turret, and a track for one model. Yes, and
0: then you need to sell them uh, to, to war gamers who are um, tight.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we make them in metal. Yeah. We get a beautiful master model and then we we sell that in metal, which is again to uh, back to the original way at the moment the only practical way of doing it.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, a little bird tells me that you are planning uh, a new range uh, of Italian wars stuff
1: very soon. <laughs> when you ask about this, yeah. yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now um that might be something I know a bit about. Um so I thought this would be um a nice or a, a good um chance for you to kind of explain the process of starting a new line of figures and and what your you know how do you set your aims and objectives for a new range so when did you get the idea for italian wars and and what's your plans
1: okay well how we let's let's, start with how do we get the idea italian wars uh the moment the bacchus range chronologically has got gaps in it yeah we've laid down sort of markers so we have got an inclusive war range uh, we had the Civil War Rage. We had a Great North War Rage and a Spanish Succession Rage. I've built last, go last year, the year before, I filled that little hole yeah. by producing uh, a mid to late 17th century range to join them together. Uh, we have a Wars of the Roses Rage, uh, which will actually do for most of Western Europe at the same time. But we've now got this big gap between that and a Rungus Civil War Rage. And there's a lot of history to fill in the there. Now, Italian War sits front and centre there. <laughs> uh, and it is also a range which, if we can bring the completion, to the completeness that we want, offers a springboard later. Yeah. yeah. joined up to the, uh, the early uh, 17th century, uh, prior to, let's say, the Gugottieri. Yeah. Uh, so that's where the Italian War sits. Um, it's been a long-standing project of ours. It just takes time to get around to it. So that's the first thing now the next thing is, is what we're getting into very very shortly and i may actually be having a word with you about this which is to decide what is going to be composition of the rage what's going into it because you know there's a fair few bits and pieces to assemble uh and you start being a yorkshireman <laughs> you don't start with the principle of what what can i do yeah it's what don't i have to do right uh so it's no use producing figures which while interested in their own right aren't really going to sell or aren't really mm. that necessary too peripheral uh, yeah. uh you've also got to identify figures you're not going to sell really well and let's see what we can do to really give them a bit more oomph. yeah well so, for example with the lunch connect uh the gendarmes we're looking at doing something we've never done before which is working with masters with separate heads and bodies
0: Ooh. Mm.
1: so that we will have a multiplicity of uh what's the word Vari- ver- ver- variation with that because it that is true the period yeah uh that is going to cause a lot of technical issues uh there's a lot of sculpting in there but it will be worth it because we will have a definitive range in both of those not necessarily for everybody but we were certainly looking at those two key uh key codes to to use that process uh but you know it isn't just the imperialists and the french we've got the french to do and we've got the italians to yeah. do but you might i don't know i might say well you know what's the it italian gendarme and uh, the French gendarme i love it, i couldn't tell you if i judge that actually there's not a lot of of the accent then it's because we want to on I may find that we've got Milanese arm, which looks so much different to the stuff they produced in France, which is made out of bacon oil. <laughs> I'm going to have to do two sets. Yeah. yeah, we don't know yet. Yeah. So we're we're at that stage now where we've got a vague idea of what we're going to do. and We're going to start burrowing down into the separate sections of what what we have to do, and then start getting into the sculpting and the the assembly. So it's a big project.
0: Yeah. So do you plan out? Um what the range is going to be, you know, this code is going to be this, this code's going to be that, and try and work to a schedule to get them released.
1: Yes. However, the release schedule is anybody who knows anything about Macca. Yeah. yeah. is well, Schedule is just a word that scores you a few points in, in Scrabble. Uh doesn't actually mean anything. It, we, we do it as best we can, but these things take time. We're working with sculptors. Sculptors are humans. They take time. Uh, We have failures. You know, you had this great idea. Try this pose. The master gets trashed in the mold. It didn't work. Back to square one. So yeah, there's lots of things. I I
0: think it's I think it's very important from a from a gamer's point of view and a a customer's point of view that that manufacturers do do full ranges. There's nothing more annoying um, than having, let's say, a 28 mil World War One Mesopotamia range from. Gripping beast um, uh, that's 20 plus years old and they still haven't made cavalry for it.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more. I really could not uh, And it's again, this so is annoying. But it's frustrating as well because when somebody goes, Will you do this Italian Wars Range? And they're going, No, I'm not going to do the Italian Wars Range until we finish the resculpt of the Great North War. But I'll want the Italians. You're going to have to wait until we finished the resculpt. And that's how we work. It's very boring. It's it's very methodical. Uh, I really, people have now got the confidence. If I say this is the first release of what is going to be complete range, they know that's what we're going to do. We will follow through. Uh, We we spent five years doing the entire World War One race, the Great War range. I said we would do everything, including the bloody Belgians, and we did them. The last lot that we did (laughs) were the Belgians. Yeah. So I stuck to my word there, right down to the dog cart pulled machine gun. Oh, uh, brilliant! So but brilliant. it is important. But so we set our stall out right at the beginning. We know what, what the range, range to be when we finished it. We've got a list of all the codes, and we work through that. Uh, we get to the end.
0: Oh, fantastic! Fantastic. Um So, final question on on, on the Bacchus itself. Um, what what do you see the future for Bacchus? Is it more of the same and develop or have you got something in the pipeline
1: um, different i'd like to say something different but it isn't i mean uh, we, we've sort of uh, set our path in the fact that there's all these bits of chunks of history and we've got to do them so it's filling mm. in the gaps in the range uh we're a very eurocentric range uh so i might look at doing uh i mean i'm constantly being asked to uh on Keith Dors and Dawson, Mesoamerica and things like that. No, that that's interesting. I might want to do some of that. Uh might want to look at some Asian ranges or some Chinese uh, mm-hmm. and say move out of the comfort zone there. Uh, we'll have to see. I've not made any serious plans on that. I want to do some more ancient stuff, but do the uh chariot armies. So we want to do more of that. So it's basically it's more of the same. Uh I'm getting more into the gear of getting our polymosk publications out so we'll be seeing more of those uh but there's very little else we can... oh yeah oh, there's a small matter of actually completing every vehicle uh for every theater of the second world war uh there could be artillery pieces infantry and support to go with so that so that's sort a of little side we're really at the get this Oh, and aircraft
0: oh thanks well plenty to keep you going plenty oh, to keep you going
1: your fantasy range uh, as well oh as my well. god
0: well, I look forward to seeing more and more. Um, so, we've got something—an event coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, and this is the Joy of Six show, and uh, I believe it's—is it the tenth anniversary this time? Well, it's our tenth year.
1: Tenth uh, year. Tenth We've not done ten shows because COVID robbed us. Our tenth year. Yeah, it's, I'm amazed it's made it this far. Uh, but yeah, I think it's something yeah. to celebrate.
0: Yeah. So it's—it's it's obviously. It's a different show uh, from many of the others in the calendars. And that is because it is six mil centric.
2: Um,
0: so I could, I know why, I know why you've done it, but just explain to, to people what your thoughts were about setting it up and and what you thought you would do with the show.
1: Okay. Well, the very first impetus was it, uh, I'll put it this way. If you go to a war game show and you're a six mil war gamer, the nearest analogy, let's say, parties. I think you'd be too.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. It's like a. It's like a, a a little chamber orchestra playing a beautiful piece, of complicated, but subtle chamber music, mm. in a room full of twenty heavy metal bands with all <laughs> the volume turned to eleven. Yeah. Yeah. uh the only reporter being there from kerrang you 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 have no traction within a war game show under normal circumstances uh in a marvelous piece of lack of self-awareness uh, a respondent to my advertising for a, a previous joystick six show on a more general forum turned around and said he had absolutely zero interest in going to a war game show that didn't cater for his scale at any way he had no traders for his scale uh and uh why would he bother why would he bother to go to a show like that yeah now just reverse that if you're a six gamer it, there's yeah. no trades apart from us you know there's no six mil games and when they do report it there's there's nothing of interest so my original idea was just a gaming day guys could get together bring six mil play a game i had the backers traced done there and to my great surprise Backers Gaming Day suddenly found other traders because we all know each other. Say, Yeah, Can I come and sell figures. Well, yeah, why? Okay, um, say, I, want to up, uh, I, I want to do a participation game, and you know, and, and I'd got this by the time I finished the first Backers Gaming Day, I'd got this little show, a, a miniature, even a miniature six mil show. So, we did another one, and after that, we found more people do more of the same. It grew mm. so, uh, I had this long old idea of doing something like this and i thought well now's the time we put together the the first joy of six and it was builders it's, it's almost like a safe haven six will game is a place where everybody speaks a language nobody's gonna ask damn full questions <laughs> uh, they could know that if there's trade stands there there's something that be of interest to them because we were getting trade stands it wouldn't normally see it was really appreciated we did a few different things we had uh, uh, uh what we call the, the back of sunday grill which is where I'll stand in front of an audience, so they can throw questions and rotten tomatoes at me. <laughs> uh, which is quite fun. They try and catch me out. I try and avoid answering a question. Yeah. Uh, so that that that's quite good fun. And we have a panel. We we get luminaries from the hobby uh, to come and sit on the panel, and so there people throw questions at them, and that is really popular. We've had some excellent guests on there as well. All the editors, the three editors of the big glossy magazines, have all been on our panel, and the show's just grown uh it keeps on it's, it's a bit like uh you know a a, a snake every so often it grows a <laughs> bit bigger it's going to move somewhere else mm. and it's just amazing uh the guys who put the games pull all the stops out some of these games are absolutely incredible they, they would grace any war game show and get admiring glances or or ups. they're just absolutely amazing mm. they really were too I'm not gonna scared, apprehensive about doing this a uh, normal war game show, because it wouldn't show what sort of reception they get. Here, they're, they're there, and there's people who are appreciative of what they're doing they're all day, looking to them, talking to them, asking them questions about it. But it's like a little safe haven for Six World Gamers. But at the same time, I didn't want to make this a ghetto. This is a place we can all feel safe from the big bad outside, big scale finger gamers, They can all go away. I want to show what we can do at the small scale and why people should be taking notice of it. And some of the well, I I don't know if you saw a picture of Pear Broden's Poltova game.
0: I was going to mention Pear um, in in that he produces games that are absolutely amazing, and I had a good chat with him at at Salute, and um, his games could grace any show or. In fact, I would say museum as well because they they really are a spectacle and um, it's like a, a pin. Not there are something to aim for and, yeah. and some a thing to aspire for, as we talked about earlier on, for for many other people. And it's it, pairs stuff is fantastic to look at.
1: It is And the nice thing about it, and this is why I would contrast that with some of the best games you're going to see at parties at, Hmm. they even the best kids rely pretty much on the same two or three things to get the well factor you know the, the number of figures or the quality of the terrain or, or you know just the quality of the painting and things they rely on just those three three or four small things and then they put them together and so you get a lot of repeat of the same sort of high quality stuff all the way through i'm not going to say it looks same because it doesn't have very different games but that's the same things on show pair bronze poltava brought something completely different to the table yeah you've got the spectacle you've got beautiful terrain but you've got the terrain not just on the table you've got it with the setting of the surrounding area as well so there was the battlefield was explained just in one single view it was a turn of force it was but he's not the only one doing this there are other people doing equally impressive creative games at the show so what i want to do is to actually Get people who wouldn't all use six mil or even the six mil curious, as I call them, <laughs> just to come up yeah. and have a look yeah. and see uh, if we could change our minds about what we could do. Uh, and also, I'm trying to get into the guys who are doing the, these games now. You've done this for the J6, now get off your arse and take them out to other shows as well. Don't hide like under a bushel. Have the confidence, have the, you know, the huts, put to go out and take what is excellent stuff and put it on display for others
0: well charles roundtree's been out with a with his games oh, hasn't man. he and what an amazing it looks like a, it looks like an overview photograph
1: it's brilliant well he's been winning prizes right left and center with that he's a perfect example of what we're talking about brilliant brilliant and i can't wait to see what he's done with his new game but that's gonna be at the joe six if you want to see that you have to come to sheffield in a couple of weeks time
0: so where where's it get, where's the um where's it held at this time
1: it's Sheffield Hallam University, yeah, which is right in the centre of Sheffield. Uh, it's dead easy to get to, even with Sheffield's one way system. Uh, on Sunday, there's loads of on street parking and reasonably priced car parks around, and it's slap magnets the railway station, so it's it's really nicely placed. And it's got the cheapest and best food on the show circuit.
0: Oh, we like we like food. We like <laughs>
1: uh, the catering team. Uh, yeah. They said, "What sort of stuff do we need?" And I said anything that's pig related yes pig related product will sell to wargamers.
0: oh god yes yes bacon sandwiches sausages
1: yeah anything like that 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 will do so um uh, burgers hot dogs yeah they're they're going to be catering for the wargamer.
0: gamer
2: none of
1: this vegetarian business <laughs> yeah you can have what you want
0: oh fantastic and um is the uh, traditional tour of the back of um studio going on the day before
1: yes that's 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 we've got the afternoon session completely full uh there's places in the morning session if anybody wants to get in contact that's free by the way i know i know it's free uh, free and you get plain chocolate hobnobs.
0: oh nice what can i say yeah
1: and, uh, you know and if you if you're that way inclined you get a cup of yorkshire tea oh
0: what can i say that sounds absolutely brilliant
1: well, you got to put it with two hours of me well uh that's the outside
0: <laughs> well i want to thank you for coming on the show pete it's been absolutely fantastic um and uh, i'm glad we've had a chance to um talk about the joys of six mil. the joys of big gaming in six mil as well um yeah. because i think uh as we spoke about with Pear and charles and many yeah. others you can do a fantastic big game in six mil. um and ten mil and fifteen mil and twenty-eight mil.
1: Just you can. But you can't you can't go yet, kid. Can I not? Because you alluded to this and you haven't done it. You mentioned the fact that I was probably the reason why you're doing this show. Oh yes. Do, oh yes. Do you not remember this? Oh I remember this. <laughs> I, I think it's for you to admit it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um sorry, the um the the it was, it was on Sean's podcast it was, and it you were going showed, on yes. about some bloke who'd done a 28mm 8-inch howitzer and how it was yeah. just absolutely ridiculous and, and you could never use it in a game. And, um, that 28 mil howitzer was mine. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. It's and, your fault.
1: And your reaction was?
0: Well, I'd, I'd had a few whiskies at the time. When I was
1: listening to it, I'm like,
0: hey, you buggers.
1: Hey, you're a bloody, I'm going to do a bloody podcast
0: now about big games.
1: So when it comes down to it, you are a creature of my creation.
0: You are. I am. I am. It's your fault. 40, 44 episodes and it's your fault.
1: Yeah. I'm not Frankenstein. What does that make you?
0: <laughs> Got a, a very poor man's Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I, it was uh, there was a number of podcasts around the time, and we were talk, we talked about it earlier on, you know, with those, you know, everyone says, oh, it's a big game, you can't do that in twenty-eight mil, uh, and oh, you'll never fit that on a table, uh, and oh, you don't want big units, and the the it's it's a drive that's gone on in modern war game into the towards the skirmish. 28 mil skirmish and that was kind of what i was railing against and very similar to what sean was railing against with his six mil thing and whatever whatever your bag in wargaming is there's 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 loads of people out there who do it because i was starting to think am i the only person who does 28 mil big games? still i can't be surely i can't be and then this podcast has proven me right because this. Really thousands yep. of them um and it's a, res- a mutual respect for everyone's type of wargaming but i shout about what i enjoy and you shout about what you enjoy and yeah better the world of wargaming is for it i think
1: i think diversity is is, is the way ahead mm. but it's got to be tolerance with the diversity which is what basically i've been yeah
0: doing. unless unless they're from that place over the hill and then they can bugger off
1: well I'm going there sure. Are you? Oh, no. I've got showed St. Helens.
0: Oh, is it phalanx coming up? Where you were where you rubber gloves.
1: <laughs> well
0: <laughs> uh, Take some Yorkshire tea.
1: Yeah. I, <laughs> no, I I won't tell you some of the stories there, but let let let's say my my geographical point of origin is well known to the organizers yeah. and indeed to the people there.
0: excellent excellent that 60 foot yorkshire flag you fly over the top of your stand <laughs> doesn't help does it yeah
1: yeah and it's even better Why did them all up on august the first but... oh brilliant brilliant uh, which to those who don't know is Yorkshire,
0: is yorkshire day. day exactly exactly um so to finish off um you do have an opportunity to ask me a question because I've asked you questions for nearly three
1: hours now. Brilliant. Uh, Joe Six next year, Yes, will you be on our panel? Of course I will, mate. There you, there go. you go. Easy question. Do, I get, a big yeah. Do I get a big
0: shield to put in front of me? But that, I mean, think, uh, no, no. Things no. thrown at me.
1: It's not, it's not to protect you, it's protect us from you. Is it? Right, okay. Yeah, because you're going to radiate big figure vibes, you know.
0: <laughs> I'll bring some of my six mil stuff along for people to see. <laughs>
1: oh, brilliant.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks uh, once again, Pete. It's been brilliant having you on the show, mate. And I'll uh, come and have a chat with it's you in the next show. Uh, and it uh, just leads to me to say good night to everyone. If you'd like to say good night, Pete.
1: Good night, all. Or as you say around here,
0: Sydney Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that uh, chat with Pete. And uh, very evangelical about the 6 mil scale, and, and rightly so. Um, it's good to have people who are enthusiastic about different parts, different areas of the hobby. As I have always been enthusiastic and pushing big game 28 mil. Pete has been pushing 6 mil and big game 6 mil as well. And uh, we spoke about Pear Broden, we spoke about um, other people who were doing big games in 6 mil. Uh So it's all out there, it's all fantastic to see. Um, I love that spectacle of a big game on a big table, and as I've said many, many times, scale doesn't really matter for me. It's the spectacle that draws me to the game. So, uh, that just leaves me to uh, say that uh, my next guest on episode 45, I'm hoping to be speaking to Mark Hydes. And Mark is a professional painter with his company, Conflict in Colour. He has uh, authored a book and he was also heavily involved in what I think was the greatest war game show of all time and that was triples at the old octagon site there were many pluses and minuses for that uh that show but it really brings back some great memories of my early and middle games uh days of of war gaming in in, uh, in my local area sadly the show's no longer with us but we want to be all about positivity so we're going to talk about the glory days of triple in amongst all the other stuff uh, that me and Mark are going to chat about so hopefully that'll be out in um, a few weeks time I'm a little bit behind with my schedule but it's a self imposed schedule so uh, it's not for you to worry about and then after Mark that's the uh, last of the current batch of guests that I've got booked in so I will be having a bruise in the Binyard summer special with Sean Clark's and uh, Alex Sutherland, and then I've got my guests lined up for between now and Christmas. I just need to book them all in, and I've also had a positive response from ProArt, the paintbrush people that I keep uh, banging on about. So I'm hoping to have an interview with them as well coming up very soon. So um enjoy your war gaming, um, and uh, I hope you're looking forward to the next episode with Mark. Until then, see. Thee.